Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday, August 19th, 2015, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I'm in the house with Mr. Bob Ryer. Good evening. And that is it for right now. Uh, <laughs> what? Huh? What's going on <laughs> Very here? weird. Uh, you know, a uh, very big turnout for our 199th episode of Talking Comics. Maybe that's it. They're waiting for you know the better team to come in on the weekend mm-hmm. or whatever. It's that Monday series against yeah, yeah. the Padres and whatever. We're, yeah. we're like, you know, in spring training, baseball, yeah. there's like the A and the B squads. We're definitely the B squads. We're definitely the well, one. Well, we're, we're definitely the B squad. Yeah. <laughs> Bobby and Bob. It's true. So there you go. It's true. That time where you were a kid and you look at the newspaper and you're like, who are all these players playing for the Red Sox? I don't know who they are. Um, but Stephanie will actually be joining us in a little bit. She got stuck at work. We wanted to start. Uh, didn't want to start too late. Um, and where are you going? Like always, we're alive for our uh, our Patreon people. Yeah, hi. Uh, Hello ten, there. Ten dollars and up. So if you are not a Patreon person, ten dollars stuff, you should do that because yeah. you get the podcast live. It, it will stream it live um, every Tuesday night, and it also goes up early to download for you as well. So there you go. That's and a, your extra episodes. Which... Yeah, well, that's for that's only for our top tier. $25 wow. up, Patreon members. Um, we just recorded that one right before we started this yep. one. Uh, so you guys hear that. It's a lot of reminiscing, a lot of talking about our pasts in, in retail and and in podcasting. So See, that could have driven some people right to that. Yeah. Right away. Absolutely. Absolutely. That, now, you did your movie show for in the parking lot this time for Fantastic Four? Did you I do it? Uh, we didn't because I was the only one who went. Okay. And <laughs> um, I, I thought about it, but... I didn't have my thoughts kind of together for it, and I I wrote something up though. I wrote a little something up, a little, uh, some ramblings up that were on for Patreon people as as well. Um, but for everybody, there's a video review up that yes. Justin and I did last week. Um, it's up on the YouTube channel right now, so check that out. Uh, and it's very good. I I watched. You did. Bob did sat watch. there crying in the corner while we, we, there Justin was a I. lot of that in my Fantastic mm-hmm. Four T-shirt. Yes. Um, for those of you listening to the podcast, it's just it's the, our review of the movie from the yes. podcast, but we filmed it as well. So uh, I don't think you were missing any like new stuff that you didn't nah. get a chance to see. Um, yeah. Movie did well in its second week. Did horribly. It was like eight million. Eight million. It was number four. Number four. Yeah. Uh, straight out Compton, number one, sixty million dollars. Yeah, big money. Big big money. Big big money. Mission Impossible holding up very very well. I would never have guessed after Mission Impossible two was so bad that we'd be talking about it this many years later <laughs> as a, a a film franchise that people generally look at as like one of the best action film franchises out there. Con, con, you know, constant quality yeah. as far as it goes. And who directed this one? Still, uh, no. This no. was um, Christopher McQuarrie who ah. uh, wrote *Original Suspects*. He directed yeah. *Jack Reacher*. Um, yeah, they've never had the same director for any uh, um, film. Uh, I loved the original 
Mission Impossible film. I was, I don't know, it was 96, 97, I think it came out. Yes, definitely. Um, I was like 13 or 14 years old. And my dad took me. I remember we went to Movie Land Cinemas. <laughs> I loved it. I was like obsessed with it. Hated the second one. That's where I gave up. Yeah, the second one's yes. horrible. The second one is horrible. Um, the third one is excellent, but did poorly. Be, not poorly, but it did worse because the second one was so bad. Um, and that came out right amidst the kind of like Tom Cruise jumping on the couch era of stuff. Uh, and then um, I uh, and then four was also very good. I still think three is, is the best one. Four is Brad Bird. Yeah, yeah. Ghost Protocol. And then five apparently is great, and I'm really looking forward to seeing it. Uh, yeah. Now, Bond trailer came out this week, but I didn't. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, a new one came out this week? Yeah, I thought so. Oh. I think, well, it came out a couple weeks ago. Oh, maybe that's... Uh, yeah, I saw the one a couple weeks behind. ago. Yeah. Okay. Looks good. Looks very good. I'm excited about that movie. Mendez, that's his last Bond movie, though. He said no more Bond movies. Uh-huh. He said that before the, the last one, too. That's true, too. But he said this one for sure, so I don't know. I remember we saw all saw that together with Jackie, mm-hmm. and I walked out. Can they make a new one now? Mm-hmm. I want to see one, like, next week. Yeah. It's not that far away now. Yeah. It's very close. November. I'm very excited about that. I think it looks great. I, I do... Look, I'm willing to eat the crow if, it, if I'm not right about this, but if Christoph Walt is not Blofeld, oh, he's Blofeld. He's... They're doing the thing though, and they do the yeah. thing. Like it's the same thing happened with the second Star Trek movie where they were like, "He's not Khan," and everyone's yeah. like, "He's Khan." Oh, yeah. Live with it. And then they're yeah. like, "What's your name?" He's like, "Khan." Yeah. <laughs> it just it, like I, I I get why they do because they want the surprise. It's, it's an iconic character. They want it to be a big moment. But the thing was, and what happened in that Star Trek movie. And you know I'm a huge fan of uh, of the first J.J. Yeah. Abrams Star Trek movie. And I like the second one too. I, I like it. But when the re- revelation that he's Khan happens, it's not for any of the characters. It's for the audience. Yes. You know? Because there's nobody in the room when he says it who oh. knows who Khan is. And eventually you get the scene where they, they talk to Nimoy Spock and he like, freaks out you know yeah. uh, that, that that it's con but you know that moment it's like this is for the audience and it, it feels weird and i just i i hope that's not what they're doing with yeah. the blofeld thing now i should mention it's the i don't know if it's the best of the original star trek movies but it, it's right up there mm-hmm. you could say it's four for some people mm-hmm. but but for me it's two it's the most like the television show but mm-hmm. it's still a movie and that character is so important that People would flock to the movie if you would just say, yeah. it's con. Yeah. People like me might have said, you know, don't play games. I'll, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> but I, it's overthinking the whole thing. It just, is. Just, it is. just go. Yeah. Just go with it. Abrams has a thing where he doesn't like stuff about his movie coming out before the movie comes out. He's very closed off about it because he's one of the people who thinks that the way that they market movies now is too... It's too spoilery and open about what's in the I movies. Don't, I don't disagree. I know, but he went overboard but, with it. Right. On certain things... <laughs> yes. I don't know how many people know this. We're into this whole movie thing today. Yeah. When Alfred Hitchcock made Psycho, mm. he changed the way people went to see motion pictures because people just walked into the theater whenever they felt like it. The origin of the phrase, this is where I came in, you'd go to the movies at 8 o'clock. If the movie started at 7.45, it did, you went at 8, mm-hmm. and you stayed through and watched the beginning again. Right. Well, he has a movie, spoiler alert for Psycho, <laughs> uh, Marion Crane, Janet Lee's character, gets killed 45 minutes into the movie. She's the star of the picture. Mm-hmm. So if you went into the movie halfway into it, and she, where's Janet Lee? <laughs> he realized it would foul up the picture for mm-hmm. people. He made theater owners sign agreements that you could only go in when the movie started, mm-hmm. not in the middle. So even 50 years ago, there was still this stuff gets spoiled. Mm-hmm. Things happen. But in this day and age, there's good marketing along with letting some people know, hey, there's some cool thing about this that you might want to see, and it could be this guy. (gasps) 
and and a, a guy with a following like like Benedict Cumberbatch, it's yeah. Wouldn't you want to bring his fans in? Mm-hmm. Who want to go see? Yeah, it's just backwards. Yeah. yeah. Well, they do. They did it with uh, Dark Knight Rises. And they were like, yeah. no, she's playing Miranda Tate. And I'm like, no, Talia uh, Al Ghul. Yeah. And whenever they do that thing where they're like, oh, here's like some very bland character name for this person who's obviously playing somebody important, you know that it's something. Yeah. Well, what did Spielberg do with his movies? They all had fake titles. E.T. is a boy's life. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. They do that with a lot of movies. They do it with a lot of movies. I mean, Star Wars was something as well. Yeah. Um, so. oh, oh, did you see the... Uh, I haven't read the article yet. I saw the headline where George Lucas is... is I was at the D23 Disney panels mm-hmm. and was defending Jar Jar. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's based on like Disney characters. <laughs> George... That's too late. It's just too late. <laughs> what was, I heard Simon Pegg on NPR last week, uh, where he was saying, "Well, I'm 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 in the the new Star Wars movie. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're all tight for, yeah. from uh, Mission Impossible and yeah. Star Trek and everything else." Yeah, I'm playing Jar Jar's father. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, you're not really the NPR guy. There was a uh, there was an interview with Pegg where they asked, they this I forget what it was they asked him to rank the Star Wars movies, mm-hmm. and he goes through them. They yeah. gave him like three minutes, and he goes through them all, and. And he go he ranks them. I think it was like uh, two, uh, you know, Empire episode, episode. No episode. I'm saying like from bottom to top. Oh, okay. Episode two, uh, episode one, uh, episode three, uh, Return of the Jedi, Star Wars, and then Empire Strikes Back. I'd agree with him a hundred percent. Yeah, me too. And he had like ten seconds left, and he's like, "Do you have anything else you want to say?" He goes, "The prequels suck." <laughs> <laughs> that was it. Um, but apparently, he was like. Again, he was part of like the brain trust or whatever that was coming up with the stories and, and everything for the new the new movies, which was interesting revelation. Yeah, I felt really badly. He was on the show exp- trying to explain the comments that got him into trouble mm-hmm. last year about dumbing things down. Yeah. As usual, we've talked about this a lot. Sound bites do mm-hmm. not ever get you to what someone really means. Yeah, he was just saying. Look, he loves superhero movies. Mm-hmm. That shouldn't be everything that science fiction is about. Yeah. That they used to be, as he was talking about the world's end, which is meant to be uh, Village of the Damned, Midgard Cuckoos, mm-hmm. uh, Day the Earth Caught Fire, those mm-hmm. great things from the past, British social sci-fi. And things ha- could have a nice story and an idea and a message and still have cool stuff blowing up, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. It, it can't all be stuff blowing up. Yeah. I mean, all he was saying was, we can be better. We yes. can do these things better. We can make great movies and people flayed him for it. And but I think he's right. You know, you need and you need people like him who are, you know, one of kind of the torch the torches for, you know, nerd cinema. Yeah, he's one cinema, of us. You know. Yes. Um he's always been that guy. He's one of the most popular to say stuff like that because he's one of the people who can he can he's one of the people who can affect that change, you know? And again, no, obviously we love superhero movies. We talk about them all the time. Yeah. We love them. We do this they do this show. But when I think of kind of my favorite sci-fi movies, they're all sort of like that alien, you know, Blade Runner, and they're both Ridley yes. Scott movies. But those type of movies um, that are great horror, action, whatever movies, but also have something else yes. uh, going on in them. And that's what you need those movies that push the medium forward. Um, and you can have great pure popcorn fare in there as well, but you need something that's willing to push the, the medium going. Right. You can make great popcorn movies that still have something to say as cinema. Mm-hmm. They may not have an overwhelming message, except it's fun to watch. Yeah. Or it's great performances. It It's the ultra version of something cheap. Mm-hmm. 
Raiders, Jurassic yeah, absolutely, Park. Absolutely, yes. Okay, old movie serials, giant monster mm-hmm. movies done by someone who loved those old forms. Here's what, with all the modern technology and modern techniques and a look backwards mm-hmm. that's forward at once. Mm-hmm. That's how you do that. That's great. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, one of the things, you know, we'll get off the, I we'll promise get off you, movies. we'll get movies very soon. But it's, this is all, you know, related to yeah. the, our, 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 our shared interests. Um, a movie like Prometheus, which does not get everything right. It gets some stuff wrong, mm-hmm. but it's, it's reaching and pushing. I think it's another Ridley Scott movie. And yes. I, I'm a very hit or miss with Ridley Scott. I think that he does some great stuff and some of that, that, that are big misses. But the one thing that he does, especially in sci-fi, is he pushes very, very hard. And, and I think that movie fails in some ways, but it's going for something. It's pushing towards something. Mm-hmm. And... I love those type of movies, like a movie like Moon or a movie like Sunshine. Love Moon. You, you turned me on to that yeah, one. Sunshine too. Yeah. Danny Boyle is both fantastic great. movies, both pushing. I, I think Moon gets just about everything right. Uh, um, Sunshine has. I can see the reasons why people don't like parts of Sunshine. I dig it from the the serious, you know, Solaris like yes. science fiction stuff to like the slasher horror house stuff that it ends up being mm. at the end. I like it all. I understand why people want all of it to be that that's that 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 that. That very serious science fiction stuff, but I like I like both of it. Movies like that they push stuff forward, and I think that you need stuff like that to, to go on. And even stuff you don't necessarily love or, or even like doesn't mean that it's not doing something that will help the medium in general. And some of those things can fall apart. Neil Marshall, who we loved, who mm-hmm. did Dog Soldiers yeah. and The Descent, Doomsday, yeah. which tries to be that, mm-hmm. falls apart mm-hmm. pretty quickly. It has some great characters, has some fun stuff in it, and it's all very clunky and yes. by committee mm-hmm. and it just doesn't work yeah the problem with uh that movie to me is that dog soldiers and the descent feel like singular visions and making his own yes his own type of movie i don't know if he had inference with doomsday but i think in doomsday he's like okay i got a bigger budget i've always wanted to make a mad max movie i've always wanted to make an escape from la i've <laughs> always wanted to make an escape from new york i'll do it all right now and that's why it just feels so it feels so uneven all, all the way through. And that's why I don't think that movie works very well at all. His The Centurion movie, the follow-up to that, which was very small, wasn't released very wide, was very good. Fastbender's in it. Oh, I have to see that. It's good. It's good. It's like a Roman uh, I think Roman's in like England or something like that. Ah. Like that, that sort of thing. It was very good. Uh, but yeah, we have some comics to talk about this week as well. Yes. <laughs> uh, our share book of the week is The Beauty uh, by Jeremy Hahn. Uh, uh, art by Jeremy Hahn and uh, story and script by Jeremy Hahn with uh, I can't remember uh, I Jason Hurley Jason Hurley uh, with, I have one right with, here with the story credit <laughs> I, I have, I have one a different right. cover though oh yeah I have the I want a, a, a different cover than you do but I have the Kevin Wada cover we'll be talking about that yeah. uh, for our book of the week uh, we have some um, obviously our lightning round books and our our our, our, uh, our single books of the week and then after the break. Uh, we're, uh, Stephanie will be with us, and we'll, we have a couple listener questions that we'll go over. Ah. And uh, you know, we're not. It doesn't look like Stephanie will be making it to the to another episode, which is a shame. Yeah. Uh, but we'll also try to reminisce a little with Stephanie after after the break about you know doing the show and oh, that's uh, all, all that that's kind great. of stuff. Just in case our Wi-Fi craps. Exactly. Out. So that's one of the things. Two other episodes coming up, and I promise you, if you RSVP'd, it's still happening. September fifth. I'll be sending yes. you the address, the timing, everything. It's still going strong. Uh, I'm sending a, a detailed email about everything like that. Yeah. Um, it's a BYOB type of affair, so you can just bring your own drinks. We will have you know food, hot dogs, hamburgers, stuff like that. If there's anything yes. special you want, bring it, obviously bring it. Grills on. Grill will be on. Uh, 
Well, we're going to be doing, uh, you know, our, 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 we'll be doing a, you know, talking comic segment. We'll be doing talking movie segment, talking game segment. Hopefully, uh, a misfit segment. I know Melissa yes. is going to be joining us, so sh- hopefully she'll I'll email her. She'll get stuff together for that. Uh, but it'll be a lot of fun, and I think that uh, we'll get all, all cool stuff. And then everybody, anybody who's coming, you know, we're going to stay and we're going to play games. You know, yeah, practice up on your beanbag to us, yes. guys. Yeah, some, some cornhole. Uh, we'll play cornhole. We'll, we'll play some board games. Maybe some video games. So it's all gonna be. It's gonna be a good time. Hang out as as long as you guys want, uh, and it'll be it'll be good fun. Uh, you know, if, if you think you can still come, it's very late in the game, and I can't promise you gonna. But send me an email. Send a podcast at tongcombooks.com and just say, hey, I, you know, it turns out I can come. Send me an email. Let's see if we can we can we can fit you in. Uh, but yeah, let's. Uh, and I'm actually like I was on vacation this week. Okay, I talked about this on the Patreon thing, but. Uh, I was gone for four days. I was gone from Friday to Monday, Monday night, late Monday night. So uh, I took a vacation from reading comics. So that four yeah. days in reading comics, I read a real book. That's something I think I'm going to talk about in my kind of my book of the week. Oh, cool time uh, for, for for that. But I, I I I've been to Chicago once before, but it was in the winter. Uh, and it was very cold with there not, yeah, a lot, lot of, not a lot of walking around got to walk around got to see some sights and stuff like that with my wife and it was it was great it was a great time my brother lives there it was oh that's right yeah yeah it was good family time uh, as well a lot of fun do any fun eating in the windy city yeah I went, we went to um w- well we went to this place uh, uh called Summer Santa Monica it's like a, a a little it's like a very trendy place we went there uh, great brunch um got like this thing called Summer Punch which was like a morning cocktail. It was it was a grapefruit juice and a couple other juices and some vodka. Very very good. Uh, got uh, some. I got some, this like egg tostitos thing. So it was like huevos nice. ranchevos and uh, and uh, beans and, and uh, avocado and tortilla. It was great. Uh, it was really a great place. Uh, we went to uh, got some deep dish. Okay. Pizza. I never had it before. Um, it doesn't taste like. Pizza. If you're from New York, no. it doesn't taste like the pizza that you think of as pizza, but it was really good. Um, we got this one, this Lou Malnati's was the name of the place we went to. Um, it's something called the Chicago Classic. It was like sausage and cheese. And uh, if people don't know what deep dish pizza is, it's like the sauce is on top and yep. everything else is underneath it. Uh, it was really good, though. I really enjoyed it. Um, so that was great. We went to a place called Portillo's, which is this kind of famous like hot dog joint. Um, so you got a Chicago dog with the whole with the, spread. The, the pickle on yep. it and the peppers nice. and everything. Yeah, no, that was good. And, and an Italian beef sandwich, uh, which is also kind of a Chicago-y thing. Mm. So yeah, we got some some good eats going on while we were there. There was a pub here in the on the island. This is 30 years ago in Brentwood called Chicago's. Oh, really? First time I had. And that's, that's what they served. They came mm. out in the cast iron tin, <laughs> you know, the little handle mm-hmm. and dropped it on your... It's like, you know, I like... Our pizza, mm-hmm. I like a, a good thin crust. You can sort of fold and do the whole mm-hmm. thing. But that was sort of a casserole on top of bread. Yes. <laughs> and when the meat is really done well, and that place really did it well, you got that really good sausage pepperoni mm-hmm. going on. That's It's good stuff it's eating, good eating stuff. that way. Yeah, it's good stuff. Um, you can't get Chicago dogs out here, by the way. Shake Shack serves them. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know that. It was good. They were, they were, that, was, that was very it's good. Very different. Yeah, very yeah. different. I still prefer nice sliced pizza. Like a thin crust, you can fold in your hand yeah. and eat it. It's so you have to dab the grease off the top of it with a napkin. Oh, you gotta. What's the point otherwise? Yeah. <laughs> the the little I don't know. Maybe it's a New York thing. The little table. The little table in the, the middle pizza, to yeah, stop yeah. the uh, the box from falling into the grease. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, that captured my imagination. The little table. I don't, the, know, the, I don't know why. There were little pizza gnomes. Yes. In the box. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Oh, so boy. Let me put three minutes on the clock here for you, Bob. Okie dokie. Um, let's see here. We got three minutes, lightning round, and go. Well, I'm cheating again because my first book has been talked about already, but it's DC Bombshells Number 1 by Marguerite Bennett and Marguerite Savage, and it was everything you said it was last week, Bobby, we were talking about the digital edition. It's an inventive and fun way to take these cover girls and just weave a great Elseworld story around it, and the second issue looks very interesting because of what's gonna, what comes at the mm-hmm. end of this as we introduce some other characters. Uh, Starfire Number 2, which continues to show the improvement that, uh, number three rather, show the improvement over number two in terms of uh, number of objectionable panels. That's way, way down. The story continues to get better as Corey adjusts to life in Key West. We've got a couple of mysteries here, too, and one, one that's going to require the help of a bartender who's may not be all of that. Then there's Squirrel Girl number eight, and all I need to say about this issue can be summed up in two words, and they are Cat Thor. <laughs> Shame Stephanie's not here. Though maybe I'd also heard Mjolnir. <laughs> and I just, look, the trade of this is out. Anyone who's missed the boat on this, just run and, and pick up the, the Squirrel Girl trade. Because they'll have another another issue, another number one coming. You know, still uh, you know, kicking butts and eating nuts. Only their uh, second number one, one of, of the year. <laughs> There's also two interesting twists in the Secret Wars tie-ins that I've been enjoying so far. Years of Future Past, which is, this is spoiler-free, by the way, so don't worry. Uh, Christina and Cameron encounter Destiny, who seems none too pleased with the young Ms. Pride, even though her own actions during the years of internment aren't exactly great either because she's been involved in some shady stuff. That isn't the big conflict, though, as one of the group has a much different endgame in mind, so that could lead to some trouble later on. But Years of Future Past by Marguerite Bennett, just amazing. And over in Arcadia in A-Force 3, the Baroness She-Hulk has traveled through the portal into what might be Years of Future Past and finds herself set upon by Sentinels, not to mention a whole bunch of Thors who aren't happy about her investigations. Jen's discovered that the magic that's causing these portals is actually coming from Arcadia and there's a traitor in her mist book is beautiful. Jorge Molina's art is incredible. I don't want. I don't know if you've seen. Have you been reading? I'm. I'm. I'm not ready for it. That's one of the books okay. I didn't get. Now, to. I'm gonna. I'm gonna turn. The, there's a page here of such deep emotion, and it's little subtle things. It's. It's. It's a bit lip. It's a, a tear here and there. And the new character, the sort of, you know, universal girl. I don't know. We have a name for her mm-hmm. yet. Is j- what she does. These charming little wonderful things. A force, just amazing. Absolutely. Tons of heart. Great art. Great story by Marguerite Bennett and G. Willow Wilson. And I'm out of here. You have 20 seconds left, Bob. 20 seconds. Um, Gotham Academy number nine was really great. <laughs> Lots of cool stuff over there. And Masks number two, for those who've been off of that, the trade will be out in like two or three months. Buy it. Hmm. All right. Two uh, seconds left. At Yellow Ghost actually was asking, do any of you guys still read Starfire? And obviously you talked yes. about it before. So really, really loving it. You're it's enjoying get, each, it? each one seems to be getting better. I... I like the first issue, I had some people write to me and said, yeah, but did you really look at that? And I did. I went back and looked, and Stephanie and uh, Carolyn Coco were certainly right. I saw what they were seeing. Those things are drifting away. Hmm. It's as if maybe that's how you get eyes on the book. Hmm. Sad to say, but it's a hoot. Hmm. And all those little uh, gizmos you you loved so much, the, the mm-hmm. little yeah. icons and the... yeah. Uh, Sheriff Stella Gomez tries to explain to Corey that, look, you help me out here, but I need you to go away for a little bit. So just go to the bar and tell him lunch is on me. <laughs> so it's a little bit of Stella with a lunch on her hand. <laughs>
lunch is on me. Anyway, that's <laughs> it for me. Uh, what did you think of the art in uh, Bombshells, by the way? It's incredible. It is respectful, wonderful. It is vibrant and muted. Each section, because there are two different sections so far. We have uh, the digital version. I don't know if it go, how far up mm. digital number one goes, but we have. Some other characters. Mm. We have some Russia, and we have some Themyscira. All right. Mm -hmm. Steve Trevor crashes, <laughs> as, as of course he would. Art was great. It is, I don't want to say cartoony, because some people take that to mean instantly humorous, but what it definitely is is stylized. Mm. The art inside is not the poster art from the cover. People shouldn't think that, but it, it, it lives in that realm. I was one of the first people that complained when DC did the bombshell covers first time around. Because after all the other weird sort of cover things they were doing, it struck me as back when Marvel did those swimsuit magazines years ago that mm -hmm. were just, I don't know if you ever saw any of those, but yeah. those were hideous. In and of themselves, they were wonderful. I love this period, the whole uh, airplane nose art and whatever. Great. Rosie the River, the whole mess of it. It just didn't seem to work. Now in sort of the new version of DC, as they you know, since the Batgirl or whatever, what they're doing here is perfectly suited to what this art is, the celebration of this period. It's World War II done over with these characters, and I loved it. I can't wait to read the next one, and I'd, I'd like to think they'll keep going. If this is, I'd love to see the sales numbers on this. I bet it'll be very high. Yeah, I think it'll do very well uh, as well. Uh, no, awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I only read the first digital issue so far, and that and that was just the Batwoman stuff. So I haven't read the other other stuff yet. Mm -hmm. uh, which, but I'm I'm definitely excited to to check that out. Uh, all right, so let's uh, throw three minutes on the clock for me for my lightning round and go. Uh, oh nope, now go. There we go. Uh, Batman number forty three. Uh, we we get more of Jim Gordon as Batman, a new villain in Mister Bloom, who's very creepy and weird. Uh, and in the first ep in the first issue back, the last panel yeah, that's forty one, you see Bruce Wayne, someone talking to him. Hmm. You've seen him one other time in the in the, in the in the second issue back. This one deals a lot with how is Bruce Wayne back, and there's someone else being Batman. Really interesting, really cool, uh, really touching and potentially very tragic for for, for bruce for Ooh. what's happening very interesting i'm very excited about this i really like this jim gordon uh stuff as batman uh digging it no surprise there in injection uh number four uh i i, I this was my book of the week uh, a month ago for the issue three continues to be great i love the concepts here i love the ideas i love how the onion's getting peeled back more and more um still times where i'm very confused but in, in that really really good way uh, again, another book that I've talked about before, but Rebels, uh, number five from from Brian Wood and Andrea Muti, uh, still a really great story. I love the Revolutionary War vibe. I love the art. I love the story. Uh, really excited to see how this going. The, the first arc wraps up uh, next month. So if anybody hasn't checked it out, I, I recommend picking up and trade if you have any interest in this type of thing. Uh, Grant Morrison's Eighteen Days, number two, his Grant Morrison's take on uh, Indian mythology keeps going, and this issue is very interesting because it deals with kind of these um estranged warriors warrior gods kind of talking and, and having a parlay and you get more peek into the politics of the situation very very interesting very cool art is great i'm really looking forward to see how that goes 
and uh, Secret Wars number five uh, of eight. This was it was a good issue, but I think it was the first issue that I felt the this is the Marvel doing eight issues when they probably could have done six. You know, there's really good revelations. The stuff that's in there is really cool, but it's centered around kind of one main idea that is kind of stretched throughout the book. Uh, I think this could have been, you know, we could have had maybe a couple issues sandwiched together. Still a good issue. Great art, but it was the one time where I felt things were starting to get a little bit, um, you know, strung out a little bit well, with the series. Bad. Yeah, but I'm looking forward to seeing what, what comes next. I still enjoyed it. And I want to say, uh, I want to talk about this when Steve's on the show again, a little bit more in depth, but Alex and Ada, uh, volume three, I, I, it came out, I, I read it, I just took the, 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 the previous volume not that long ago. The, I really liked the first two volumes. This volume is an emotional powerhouse set of issues. There are, there are a couple of issues in here that are just... They have they have crying you know tears in your eyes moments. The last moment is, is really great. Pulls from it, it managed to pull from all of the kind of AI stories that we know and love, um, while still being its own thing. Uh, really loved it. Uh, I think you know Luna's art, which uh, I like, but I think sometimes it can be very kind of cold, a little bit cold. I think fits perfectly in, in this. The emotion is there. I think there's still a little bit of clunky dialogue that goes throughout it, but those are far outweighed by, by the positives of the book. If you're waiting, all three volumes are out now. It's all collected. I would say check it out. Um, pick it up 100%. I'm sure you can get all three volumes for a song. Sure. You know, Volume 1 is $9.99, and Volumes 2 and 3 are $12.99 each, uh, and that's oh. full retail price. So. Got a love image. Yes. Really, really great stuff. Um, any extras in this one? Uh, I don't think so. Sometimes in the seconds and thirds, they give you some sketches. And no, stuff. no extras. I'm sure that there will be a collected, you know, full version hardcover that will come yeah. out. Much like a lot of the, I think all the Luna stuff, all the all the successful popular Luna stuff gets that that treatment. So now, when Steve first started talking about it, I was very attracted to the whole sort of. I, we, as you said, we've seen these stories before mm-hmm. in this sort of thing. Where it's Twilight Zone, there's a famous Star Trek episode called Requiem for Methuselah that deals mm-hmm. in some of this. But the way he was describing the emotions of it as mm-hmm. he was reading through it, and that you are too, that yeah. it really so- sounds like something very, very special. It, it did. It, it turned into something very special. I think that I wasn't. I liked the first volume, but I didn't love the first volume. I felt like it took a while to get going. I felt like uh, it wasn't dealing in a lot of n- new territory. And then volume two, I think, really. It is very fast paced. It, it, it has a lot of both great character building and a lot of exciting, tense moments. But it all really pays off here in in, in this. And and I think that my one criticism of 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 the fifteen issue miniseries um, is is that I do feel like those first five issues or so, I feel like they take five issues to get the information they could probably have gotten out in two issues. You know, it's just. I don't. When I think back about that that volume, I don't. I don't really even grab a lot from it. You know, maybe I'll go back and read it, mm-hmm. and I'll say, "Oh, it all fits together like a puzzle." But you know, I, I feel like volumes two to th- two and three are just such a great whole ten issues that really tell a great story just in themselves. And, and so that's my one criticism of it. But I will say that it, it the middle is strong, the ending is even better, um, and it's a definite recommendation for for anybody who, who's looking awesome. who's interested in, in in the story at all. Um, all right, Bob. What, what, Omnibus volume. That's what we're waiting for. Yes. What do you so, have for us, Bob, for your book of the week? My book of the week, interestingly, someone brought this up on the forums during the week. 
And so my book of the week is Howard the Duck number five, which mm. I have been reading and enjoying the heck out of. I mentioned, I think, briefly here mm-hmm. and there on a lightning round. It's Chip Zdarsky and Joe Canonis on the art. Inks by Joe and Paola Rivera. <laughs> colors by Rico Renzi and letters by John Moisen. <laughs> so there we go. Now, sadly, this is the final issue of Howard the Duck, at least until they relaunch, too, which, yeah, it's kind of nuts. It's only yes. five issues, and they're... Um, Chip Zdarsky's version of his Howard Gets a New Hat. (laughs) Howard the Duck Returns, same creative team, new number one, I guess. Thanks a lot, Hickman. (laughs) (laughs) That's how he puts it. Now, this issue picks up directly from the conclusion of number four. Uh, Mr. Richards, Howard's client, who he assumed was just an old gent looking for some stolen necklace, was in fact a Skrull looking for the missing gem from the... Uh, sort of important and moderately dangerous abundant glove, which is not at all like the Infinity Gauntlet. Don't even think that. And this one's, the the abundant glove is powered by the gems of compassion, laughter, dance, respect, and dance. This is the second (laughs) dance gem. Now, Talos the Skrull conjures up some really odd creatures. uh, Superheroes are all over. It is New York. He's got giant daisy men. Who sort of looks like your Mr. Bloom, actually, but uh, 30 feet tall like the State Puff Marshman and pink. Uh, chattering teeth, you know, the little, mm-hmm. they're running all over New York. Big ones, though, big ones. And we have what looks like Rambo-esque wombats. <laughs> now, there's a ton of that sort of combat action, lots of daring do. And you've got lots of little secrets. You've got fun with Howard and his, and his friend Tama, uh, the, the tattoo artist over there. We've got some Spidey going on, of course, and every hero you can imagine still lives in New York is sailing through the panels as Howard runs in the other direction for the most part. You even have what might be, uh, spoiler alert, but I don't care. Because, you know, since it is a finale, you want things to come together. So we have this really bizarre panel by Joe Canonis of Howard using the abundant glove, which, you know, could turn out really badly. There's a daisy man. <laughs> See, it's gigantic. Uh, who seems we have the collector? We've got the Silver Surfer. We've got Squirrel Girl. She's all over this issue, and I, that hair looks awfully familiar to me. Mm-hmm. And I am not gonna. It is not Medusa, but it is someone from Howard's past. And I'll leave it at that. For me, I, I've really been enjoying this. This is the first issue that really struck me as being Steve Gerber's Howard the Duck. It is loony in a way that is just all over the place. And Chip Zdarsky is loony, maybe even in real life, from what I've read, where he sits outside of conventions in a chair. Mm -hmm. It's somehow a measured, thoughtful, thought-provoking loony. This is just nuts. Mm -hmm. This is just completely nuts. It's like, it's the last issue. What the heck? (laughs) Let's have some fun. It is just all over the lot and centered. It's just brilliant. It is really absolutely brilliant. I'm a, I'm a Howard the Duck fan from back in Journey into Fear and the old, the old original series. This is my favorite of this series so far. All right. Very nice. So very, there'll very be nice. a trade of this soon. I'm sure. And a new number one. I'm sure. And Howard the Human this week, though not by... S- yeah, Scotty Young, though. Scotty Young, yeah. which should be a lot of fun. It should it's, be a lot of fun. It's the reverse. Mm-hmm. It's a human private detective named Howard in a world full of talking cats and dogs right. and animals. Yeah. And they've done that before, right? He's been a human, but in our world, he's lost gotcha. his power. Look, Howard had a lot of problems in the old days. They got sued by Disney because he wasn't wearing pants, <laughs> so they had to put pants on him. And a few other things. Gerber left. He sued. 
that was Destroyer Duck. He claimed, and rightly so, he did create it, but he created it for them. But mm-hmm. he wanted it back, and the whole industry exploded and whatever. Uh, Howard's been a lot of things over the years, including a presidential candidate who I have the button. <laughs> the button at home, I'll be wearing it when I vote this year. <laughs> Because I think he's a most viable candidate. <laughs> no politics. No but politics. If you guys have been waiting on Howard the Duck, the trade I'm sure will be out before we know it. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure the five issues are available pretty pretty cheaply. Go pick it up. Yeah, I'm sure you can find them. Uh, did you read the Gerber stuff like back in the day? Yep, loved it. What What was that like when it when it came out? We had Steve Englehart on, who was one of those young guns mm-hmm. at that time. And as he described that period of Marvel, Stan had walked away. and He was not editor-in-chief. He was the publisher, and Roy Thomas was, Archie Goodwin was. All sorts of people took their turns in the chair, some for like weeks at a time, and left. As long as you were telling a good story, it didn't matter what you were doing. Mm. Gerber did nuts stuff. He introduced characters, got rid of them, did reversals of superheroes, tropes and whatever turned marvel on its head in a brilliant satirical it's about us the way great science fiction is and just absolutely insane Mm. vampire cows (laughs) dr bong was one of howard's main villains anything you could imagine he found a way to throw into a book commenting on the book itself said it was a satire on a satire on a satire but it never lost heart and what Howard was that you didn't ever see in, in that movie, though I don't think it's the worst superhero movie ever made. That may have come out recently. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. I can't say that. What you see in Rocket Raccoon, that's what Howard the Duck was mm-hmm. like. Snarky, bitter, mean-spirited, but loved life at a certain level, but he loved it on a planet that didn't have a bunch of hairless apes on it. Mm-hmm but still wanted to do the right thing. There was a real great core to this character running through, and it was mostly Gene Colan art, who did Daredevil, Dracula, all sorts of things all through the years, Iron Man. You thought of him as just a superhero stuff. He was funny. Colan was amazingly funny and grounded, and it made it work. If he had done it as a complete joke, which is why it's great having Joe Canonis here, who is that sort of blend, not as angular, perhaps, as Colan, but is that... Anyone who read Black Canary's Atana, it's that vibe right here. It's still serious, and there's underpinnings of real life going on, but it's still nuts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. N- n- why was kind of Gerber, I guess, uh, allowed to get away with that stuff? Was, was was there less attention on comics at that point? I mean, I know that's still kind of in a, a high period, but... It's still a high period. Comics were selling lots, mm-hmm. but I think you had so much changeover at the top Again, it went from Stan, who did everything, mm-hmm. to Roy, who was trying to do some of it. And then I, I think Denny O'Neill was editor-in-chief, and so was Jerry Conway, and so was Len Wein. And so everyone had a turn at the seat. Marv Wolfman, I think, was. Mm-hmm. I think he was the guy who had it for like three weeks and, and quit. <laughs> uh, so there was never anybody really looking at anything, I think, long enough to pick out, maybe you shouldn't be doing, maybe in Captain America, you shouldn't have the president shoot himself in the White House. Yeah, right. Just saying. <laughs> you know, maybe, Mr. Gerber, when you're telling the story in Man Thing, you shouldn't introduce Jesus into the book under under the guise of a superhero named Wondar who comes from some other planet. He's sort of Superman, except he's walking around like Jesus. <laughs> in an issue of Ghost Rider, they were going to bring the real Jesus into the book <laughs> to have him fight Satan, 
which is, you know, I, I think it's Eric Larson did a book like that, mm-hmm. you know, in Savage Dragon. And it was just a matter of, it was the time, it was that the original Silver Age creators were all pros, a lot of them from the 40s. When you get to Stan hiring Roy Thomas, who was maybe in his early 20s and in the middle 60s, he was a big fan of things like the Justice Society and brought that to his writing. The next set of guys who came in in the 70s were people who grew up on Stan stuff. Let's take that to someplace else. So it was the, how do we break down the walls? How do we change what, as Stan did, what comics can be, what these stories can be, how deep can we make them, how crazy can we make them, what is to be said? And if you have the same people who are writing those stories editing the books, mm-hmm. that's fine. Yeah, Let's do that. <laughs> and in many ways, the that's the start of the Bronze Age, and that, that can be debated as to when that actually is. Is it Kirby leaving Marvel for DC? Is it Conan number one? Is it yeah, Green Lantern, Green Arrow? But what you really had was the 70s vibe of, you know, do your own thing and so on and so forth, carry over from the 60s. People who were still doing comics as a job and wanting to tell really good stories in both the old and new way together. Mm-hmm. It's it's maligned in a way, these books. It's sort of, uh, it's that cheap paper and these crummy stories. I think as with fashion coming back around, there's now more attention on these 70s and the 80s books that followed them. As being though, this is a really great period. It's just it's what followed might not have been to everybody's taste. I'm sure there'll be a readjustment of those too, real reassignment of values to those. Mm-hmm. But you're looking at these; it's still the iconic characters in the same places. But let's tell that story differently. How can we change this? And once it, it was Marvel, it did it. But when it flowed back, some of those people to DC, whether that's Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams whether it's Marv and Len on Teen Titans, which changed things so much for them. Let's do the X-Men at DC. Right, yeah. Here are these characters. I think that's what changed DC permanently, mm-hmm. those those set of books by those guys. It's all right in there. Mm-hmm. We're still living in that period. We had a little glitch. And I think those sort of storytellers are coming around from people who grew up reading those books as kids 30 years ago. They're now grown-ups and professionals. Mm-hmm. So I think that's some of this change we're seeing now. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome, awesome. Pontification. Yes. Well, I wanted to talk a lot about comics since my book of the week. I'm not going to talk about a comic at all. <gasps> what? <laughs> Are you Stephanie in disguise? I am. Okay. I am. Uh, so I mentioned, you know, I didn't read comics over the four days. Uh, but I did read was I, 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 a few months ago now, uh, the Misfits did a, a book club about a book called uh, The Martian. Uh, by Andy Weir, and it's actually it's a movie that's coming out uh, with Matt Damon. Uh, it's Ridley Scott directed ah. a sci-fi movie, and I just wanted to talk about it a little bit because uh, it, it's a very interesting book. So the idea kind of behind it is that it's near future, but still you know very kind of our world, just slightly better technology type of thing. And it's uh, they they're sending we're at a point now where we're sending manned missions to Mars. There's been two of them. This is the third one. And on the third manned mission to Mars, uh, there's a horrible, there's a really bad sandstorm. Um, this kind of piece of equipment gets dislodged, and when the when the astronauts are trying to evacuate, one of them gets like kind of basically pinned by this equipment, Ooh. and is and they think think he's dead. He gets left on Mars. Um, Mark Watney is the name of the character, and he ends up, but he ends up being alive, and he's stranded on Mars by himself 
and he has to try to figure out a way to survive. And his kind of goal is, I need to survive until the next Mars yeah. mission gets here, which is four years. He's got, you know, like, he, he's got, I, I think it's something like, um, like a year's worth of food that he can, that he can have. And he, he, he can extend it by doing some other stuff, but he's got to find a way to get to that point. And the, and the story changes from that because, you know, uh, NASA realizes that he's alive. And so the movie becomes a, a dual story about Mark on Mars trying to survive. Mm-hmm. And then NASA trying to figure out a way to either help him survive or get him back. Um, and what's, I, I think the coolest thing about the story is that it's really about, um, this really smart guy who's trying to figure out a way to take these things that are supposed to last him a month and make them yeah. last him all these days. And one of the things he says, and it's in the trailer for the movie too, he goes, so basically I have to science the shit out of this stuff. <laughs> basically what it is. And the character is, you know, wisecracking and he's funny. Uh, uh, and that sort of attitude, it, it goes a long way in the book. And I think that uh, it's cool because all of his sort of interactions for the most part, almost all of them are told in these sort of logs. You know, he's doing his like daily log and all of them are kind of told in that sort of first person way. But it's not the kind of first person where you're getting to see everything that's going on in his head. Only, only you're getting is what he's saying, you know, out loud. And there are times, there are a couple chapters and a couple of sequences where it's sort of like omniscient, you know, kind of third person narrator talking about what's going on. But for the most part, uh, you know, that's what it is when you're ever, whenever you're with him. And then the other side is more of a kind of normal, like regularly written novel, which with dialogue scenes between characters and stuff like that. But all the soul stuff it, it, it is like that. Um, it was just a really great reader. I, w- I was like 350 pages and I read it in um, a couple of days and I, I loved every minute. And, and the last kind of the, the final kind of sequence to it uh, you know the, the big sort of like climax of, of the story is really really gripping and and, and entertaining and, and so much fun and i think that uh, it's going to make a great great movie people should watch the the trailer for the movie is really good and i think that yeah. having just read the book i'm writing that down to watch the trailer again um having just read the book it seems like it's capturing a lot of what that 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 story is about I'm fascinated by the way you're describing this. There was an old movie from 64, I guess. It actually has Adam West in it, but it stars a fellow named Paul Mantee who passed just recently. Well, his character actor face, as mm-hmm. you know. That's called Robinson Crusoe on Mars. Hmm. They're a mission to Mars. Spaceship crashes. Uh, and, spoiler alert, it's a 50-year-old <laughs> movie. Adam West dies, so... Paul Mantee's left by himself to try to survive. It's the same idea. Mm-hmm. He's got a crash ship. Mm-hmm. Rescue is years and years away. He discovers there is somebody else on Mars. Oh. <laughs> it's and he, he thinks of himself as hence the title. Mm-hmm. Thinks of himself as Robinson Crusoe from mm-hmm. Defoe's novel. So he names him Friday. But it's this odd fellow who's a native Martian who's got this odd brace on. He's apparently a slave for some other alien race that's flying all around. It's directed by Byron Haskin, who did War of the Worlds for mm-hmm. George Powell. So they actually even use those spaceships. They try to hide that they're using those spaceships, but they are. It is touching and wonderful and human as he sorts out through this. Uh, anyone who's ever bought the box set of Forbidden Planet that's out, there's a, a documentary called you know, Keep Watching the Skies, which is the last line of the original version of the thing, the Howard Hawks one. And they interview basically Spielberg, Lucas, Ridley Scott, and James Cameron, who are all basically we're all basically the same. I, we like I'm one of them, <laughs> but guys like us who grew up watching 
these sort of science fiction movies, I guarantee you that Ridley Scott read that book and went, I loved mm. Robinson Crusoe on Mars. Here's a way to do this now and better because it's it's clunky and it's mm-hmm. old. It, it's got some real problems. Yeah. But here's someone who really took this idea, ran with it because what you're saying mm. is so touching. Yeah. Let's do that, and mm-hmm. uh, I can't wait. Yeah. I'm definitely going to see this movie. And what's great about it, too, is I, I will say, so people don't, obviously the first thing you think of when we're, we're talking about the kind of movies and, and story we talk about, there is no extraterrestrial element yes. to the story at all. He's just, he is the only person, only thing living on, on, on yeah. Mars. That's one of the things for me that ruins Robinson Crusoe, yeah. is there's this, this oh, I don't need that. Yeah. I want to see these people. I want to yeah. see them interact. Yeah, yeah, which is great, and, and I, I think that, um, the character goes along, like I said, that to, to make it interesting. And what I love about it too is that it reminds me in some ways of reading sort of like kind of the old Michael Crichton books, which weren't afraid to be super sciencey uh, yeah. and explain to you in great detail these very complicated things that are happening. And the book does that. You know, it's telling you how you know how much how much power. Uh, the the this rover needs to run if it's also running you know life support systems and you know um you know heating systems and um you know air purifiers and co- the computer and all this mm-hmm. stuff and 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 it goes and it goes into how you know oxygenators work and how really the thing about you know space travel and and, and staying on a planet in space is not really you're it's not really running out of oxygen it's the carbon dioxide Yes. And now it would fill their carbon dioxide and dealing with how they really deal that out. How how you would need to, how you could possibly ever take Martian soil and make it plantable for any sort of plants from from Earth. The, all these kind of processes, how, how to put together this thing or that thing, how to communications work, all, all this kind of stuff. It, it really goes deep into that stuff. And, you know, you don't, you don't need to understand it to enjoy the story, but the intelligence of it and, and, and the uncompromising... And I'm sure it's still a dumbed down version of it. Sure. Um, but the unco- the seemingly uncomfortable nature of it to be like, okay, this is just how it takes, and you know, you might not understand it all, but here's all the information, and and you might learn something from from reading this book as well. It's really great. I'm sure you remember Apollo 11. Those mm-hmm. moments where Ed Harris and his crew were mm-hmm. trying to figure out, well, how do we save mm-hmm. three watts of power here? How do we do yes. this? How do we do yeah. that? Yeah. And you're just look. The characters are great. The acting mm-hmm. was wonderful. The movie. Those scenes spoke to me yeah wow this is really smart people at work yeah and there's a lot of that too he's a lot of him being like how can i conserve this many kilojoules and and transfer it here and if i have you know if i i have to i have to use this much energy every day um and i have this long to go how can i possibly figure out a way and it's really cool because the character um and he's a botanist and an engineer. That's a, that's a, kind of his role. Perfect. And, and him trying, but him trying to do so that's not part of that, you know, yeah. makeup is really cool. And uh, the way he his kind of relationship to the planet is really interesting and fun. And it's just it's just a really fascinating book. The book strikes me the way you're describing it. It, it is that thoughtful science fiction of it is. we're talking on mm-hmm. our Patreon show that yes. people will get to hear some of you, some of you in that it's. It's got there's cool stuff. It's space, mm-hmm. but it's human beings and ideas and the thoughts behind them and how we tie those together and to create either a better world, or to just sort out the human condition itself. And here's mm-hmm. something that's both, mm-hmm. which that's and there is and also classic. a great message um, in the movie about kind of 
people helping people and, and, and that kind of thing and it's it's really it's really great yeah. uh I'm, I'm really looking forward and the cast the cast is amazing for the movie uh you know matt damon jessica chastain wow um rooney mara chitwell elja ford jeff daniels um uh, donald glover just a lot of great yeah. great people all throughout it uh and i'm really looking forward to seeing and ridley scott ridley scott yeah, yeah. yeah so we'll see how it all goes but i'm, I'm very excited now that this year yeah it's october 2nd or something like that awesome very soon a very very soon that, that gift card i was going to use for fantastic four i can wait and see the marsh absolutely you can <laughs> we may have to talk about that one here yes i'm very ex- i'm super excited now after having read that book all right so let's talk about our, our shared book of ah. the week which is the beauty um jeremy hahn jason a hurley um and with john rouch on colors and phonographics on lettering and design um so it's jeremy hahn and jason a hurley on story and jeremy hahn on art um so the, the story is, is is pretty it's a, it's a great kind of elevator pitch story which is that what if there was an std that people wanted to catch and the reason they want to catch it is because it makes them beautiful and that's what the beauty is it takes away it de-ages them it takes away their blemishes all their imperfections it makes them kind of peak physical specimens um yes it's a disease but up until this point there there aren't really any you have to manage it but there's no no giant side effects nobody's dying from it stuff like that so it's these things that and there's definitely a section of the population that catches it on purpose and and a section that's definitely against it and a section that's kind of just in the middle it's like why would you want to catch Mm -hmm. the thing it's just a disease you know uh very interesting stuff throughout that so it immediately starts with a world already built for you. You know, you're not coming to the beginning of the, of this disease. It's already a thing that's majorly prevalent throughout the country, throughout the world. You get, you get the sense of, and you're kind of dealing with the socio sociopolitical aspects of what it means. Um, like a lot of great stories, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of ways into big worlds like this is the detective story. And that's what we're dealing with here. The story starts with, um, someone who has the beauty dying seemingly from, basically blowing up from the inside yeah. uh yeah, spontaneous combustion on the subway yes and our um our main character who's uh sorry i wrote his name down foster foster, foster uh is kind of lead of the like kind of like the beauty division of of, of the police force they need a task force because there's so much stuff going on you know there, there's there's people who there's like protests there's violence against them all all this kind of stuff and they go to check this out and they kind of get pushed out by this um, kind of CDC sort of sort of person, yep. and what the story really deals with is really setting up. I think the 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 people that that you're knowing you're dealing with, kind of giving you hints about who they are and what their relationship is to the world and and to this disease, um, and, and setting up where we will be going in the future, kind of putting a ticking clock on certain characters that actually mm-hmm. are there in this world. So, Bob, what did you think of the beauty? Oh. From the solicits, I thought this was definitely going to be some sort of sex criminals knockoff. Mm. And that may have even been the genesis of it. He's saying the pitch of this. Mm. But it does go somewhere else. I think we've done a lot of sort of mystery things. And I think this is certainly better than a lot of what we've seen. Mm -hmm. It's a very interesting hook. The cliffhanger is really engaging. Yes. Uh, I don't want to do two spoilery things, but there's one character very close Mm -hmm. to Mr. Foster who is dealing with issues with the disease mm-hmm. um but the art i found was a little bland a little pedestrian for what we're doing here in that it is, is more than serviceable don't mm-hmm. get me wrong i i don't want to say that but i 
a different take, a slightly edgier, something a little either fashiony mm-hmm. might have been interesting, angular sort of something like that. Uh, maybe even a Howie Chaykin sort of take on it. But this sort of like in between, very I don't want to say superhero-y, but in that vein, maybe even a guy like Greg Land, mm-hmm. who would have done no, would have done pretty. Mm-hmm. Because it took me out of it a little bit, but the characters I found really interesting. Oh, there's one. Maybe I'm overthinking. I do that a lot. Is it telling both as a plot point and about author's intent or thought process that Foster's wife doesn't have a name? (laughs) She's never identified by name anywhere in this book. And she's obviously a major character. Mm -hmm. And it's, is she, will we see, is she some faceless thing in essence in in terms of the story is it just that wives don't matter in a world of all this other stuff going on i'd be interested to see where that heads but i, I found that a fascinating little point i would tell you i had to hunt for foster's name yes in the book because yeah. there i was mentioned i think once, once yeah, in the yeah. whole book I, I was like what's the character's name so i, I it seems like that's kind of there's sparse names throughout the book it seems to be one of those things where the there whether it's an attempt to be as naturalistic as possible, mm-hmm. which is that people don't really just go like, like say people's names all the time. Hello, June Smith. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, or, or whatever. I, I, that what it feels like more to me because it's, it's prevalent throughout the entire book. You know, like, like I said, not really naming the main char- character's name is kind of hidden in, in, in its thing. There's no like little title captions. Yeah. There's no, you know, I'm detective, whatever is like, what are you talking about? Foster is like what, yes. the only time you get it. I had to hunt for it in, in the book. So I think that's kind of wh- where it is with that. I will say that, I, I liked I, I liked the art. It at times it gives me a little bit of um uh oh my god I, I'm gonna use the worst example of this person's art, yeah. but red one um Terry Dodson Terry Dodson some of the faces and stuff like that yeah I, I got a Terry Dodson vibe f- from the art and you know I, I'm wondering what's gonna happen when because there again the artist is the writer and so it's 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 interesting kind of play there but. There isn't a lot in the story that calls for um, a lot of dynamic stuff happening. There's that kind of the opening stuff, which I, I think is done done very well and very effectively. But other than that, it's kind of a lot of just a lot of dialogue scenes and stuff like that, which I, I like about it. And I will say that I think that a lot of these indie books and a lot of the image books or Dark Horse books or whatever we're talking about, a lot of my review includes the thing where I'm like, well, yeah, it's good, but I would like to read it kind of just in trade. And not that I don't think this won't read well in trade, but I think that the hooks for the overall mystery as well as the moment to moment mystery are good enough that it's it will read well issue to issue yes because it seems like he's opening and closing loops within issues and that's always a really good thing if you want i think to hook people from from a a month to month basis right as we talk you're talking about how they built the world here you have people who are against these beauties they Mm -hmm. think it's like half and half yeah and so we meet a character named eddie bennett who i think yes eddie bennett Mm -hmm. who's both pro and anti at once. He has a house full of everything. Mm-hmm. And he's really scary. Yeah. And he's a regular guy. Yeah. And I think we'll see more people like that because we end up in a, in a beauty club, mm-hmm. which is right out of Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah. It yes. is really yeah. bizarre mm-hmm. stuff going on. So as we see more of this world, those little hooks they're throwing in at us yeah. definitely want to, it's, it's a, some of this bubbling through. And, uh, to uh to that point, Bob, I I I want to talk about kind of like the influences of it and stuff mm-hmm. and like what it uh you know what I found but I I found it to be very similar to uh I believe it's Warren Ellis that surrogates they made a movie out of the oh, yes. Bruce Willis stuff and they kind of divide up kind of 
these kind of beautiful computerized like robotic people kind of stuff and then you have to get to the point where there's like the the virus in the system and if you don't get out of it you're gonna die and all this stuff and you mm-hmm. have to be kind of their normal kind of older selves i thought there was some similarities there between between those two things which i found pretty interesting and uh um you know i it does feel a little bit kind of like a twilight zone type of oh so episode. Uh, there are a couple uh, of Twilight Zones that, that go down there. There's certainly the one, uh, Eye of the Beholder, mm-hmm. where the, the, it's, it's the planet of the pig people, and right. the, the, you know she's in the bandages the whole time. Uh, there's also a movie that recently came out on DVD from Criterion called Seconds by John Frankenheimer, mm. stars Rock Hudson, where he's an older guy who you know, gets, gets past a card mm. that you can have a second chance, is where the, the title comes from, where they take him, and they do plastic surgery and body mm-hmm. modification, so on. So he then relives life, you know, as a forty-year-old, a very handsome forty-year-old. But he's still the old man inside. And his mindset, as he then tries to traverse the sixties, as an old man in a young man's body, the, the, the changing social mores around him are very difficult to do. And mm-hmm. I think that's some of this here, in that the people who are left behind look at these beautiful people as, oh, who are you? Yeah. So I, it's probably meant to be, what's this intent? What do I know? Comment on the celebrity culture of today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they have a how far will you go, how far will you go to be yep. beautiful? Um, and, and how that becomes such an important thing that you will sacrifice your well-being in order to be better looking. And, you know, you mentioned, you know, some, some stuff earlier. I don't want to get into spoilers either about anything, but... What, what um, Foster's wife does, says things about their relationship mm-hmm. um, that makes me wonder what's going on with them, you know, um, and and th- those little things bring up very interesting points, you know, a- about the interpersonal relationships between these people and what will drive different people to do different things for different reasons. Especially as the world around you changes to something that wasn't what it was before. Yeah. What, what is now the accepted mm-hmm. social moray here? Yeah. It is very different from mm-hmm. the world before this disease showed up. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And I, I think those are, those are fascinating ideas that, 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 that it's bringing up. And what I think I take away from this is that Jeremy Hahn is, is, has brilliantly been an artist before this. And I think it's very interesting that I, took more enjoyment out of the story than I yes. did out of the art. And I think that that's very promising. It's a very promising thing because I think there's a lot of great hooks here. And I, you know, I don't know which part of it, obviously, obviously they're, they're, they're writing team. So I don't know how they work together, but Han and Hurley, I don't know how they work together, but the two of them make a very, I think a very good, interesting pair. Um, and you know, if you read this history of this book, you know, it was a few years ago, they did a, a pilot program with, with with Top Cow, and they had all these like one issue things, and it was like a pilot season for a, a TV mm-hmm. network. And they were thinking they and they would get, they awarded one kind of a series order, and this was what they awarded the series order. But it's been years since since that happened, and it, it's finally here. And I think whatever time they took to gestate the idea, I think is really beneficial because I think there's a lot of really interesting good stuff here. I wonder if when there's finally a trade, will they throw that first half a story? Yeah, I wonder. Yeah. I wonder too. I you know the 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 Vaughn character, the partner character. Um, this is not a spoiler. You can find out she yeah. has the disease, but her kind of opinion is like, why would anybody get this disease on purpose? So you wonder how she got yes. the disease in the first place. And you know, you have a couple characters here that all have di- varying different ways of how they got 
this disease. Once it did, it probably did it on purpose. Once it did it uh, uh, by mistake. And I, 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 I think it's gonna be interesting to dive into why each one did what, what they yeah. did. I'm sure there are many more characters we're gonna meet moving yes. forward. And and there, if there's a whole network of anti-beauty people, mm-hmm. and we see why they are such that they lose someone to this disease, not from spontaneous human combustion, but that those people would by nature side with each other. Mm-hmm. They'd leave behind the regulars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you're that person left behind to now it's not a not just changing social conditions, but an actual conscious decision to be someone who could leave you behind, mm-hmm. what does that say? What do you take from that? How do you then live with yourself what did i do wrong what what do i lack and do you then chase that mm-hmm. yeah a lot of stuff here absolutely a lot of, a lot of ideas here absolutely um and i'm I, i'm i'm definitely gonna pick up issue too i, I want to see how how they pursue those ideas how the balance becomes between kind of you know n- kind of who done it you know what's going on mystery story mm-hmm. and those bigger kind of social ideas and they, they seem like both those things are being seated so i'm looking forward to seeing how, how that all works out yeah. so definitely a, a, a big thumbs up for me uh, uh, on the story um we had some listener reactions ah, obviously uh, at thunderfoot 77 says loved the beauty number one uh jeremy hahn and jason nay hurley great concept reminded me of fringe especially vaughn will definitely follow uh steven here but he he chimed in oh cool um, at dead underscore anchoress the beauty by jeremy hahn um, and Jason Hurley was conceptually terrifying and awfully executed. Kudos to the entire creative team. I'll be grabbing number two. Um, at Batfawn says, um, <laughs> STD stuff, pretty art, but at what cost? What cost? <laughs> Doug the concept, love the art, nice choice. Um, and Toxic Schooner says, the beauty reminds me of the novel Crime Zero. Great first issue. I'm intrigued. Art and story were good. Grabbing number two. Huh. Um yeah, so that's that's the beauty, uh, number one. Uh, like I said, we're, we this kind of our last sort of uh, regular show before before two hundred happens. So our last our last regularly numbered episode. Um, so there won't really be a traditional kind of segment next week. We're gonna well, be, we will have a two hundred one. Don't don't yeah, yeah, yeah before yeah, two hundred. Yeah. I said before okay, okay. two hundred. <laughs> uh, one ninety nine. We're gonna yeah. so um. We're going to be filling stuff in the next. You're not going to be without a show next week. There just won't be kind of normal shows. Probably some interview stuff. We're going to do another talking comics radio theater. Uh, we're going to do Fantastic Four number one. So we'll definitely be doing that. That will either come out next Wednesday or the Wednesday after. But next Wednesday we'll definitely have something for you. Um, maybe we'll just do a book of the week segment. I know Bob wanted to pick something. He has something picked out. He's excited about yes. it. Then I ran on his parade I'll, when he got here. I was like, <laughs> we're not doing that. Bob, what would you what would you have assigned? Well, I was torn because we don't have a lot of number ones. Mm-hmm. So, so looking through, there was a Howard the Human number one, mm-hmm. which we talked about. Could be could be cute. Uh, almost wanted to do Sensation Thirteen to get people on board reading that, but it's that's it's been out a while digitally. So I don't know. It's, mm-hmm. uh, so what I thought of was Secret Wars, Secret Love, which is various artists. It's the last days. Of everything now that I do, I'm not prepared because it's over on another pile. <laughs> uh, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. No, no, no. no. <laughs> oh yeah, that got announced. That got that got announced, and yeah. it should be very, very good. Anyway, <laughs> um, what it is is various creators telling stories within the end of days, told in this sort of '50s romance style. So we have, for instance, uh, Ms. Marvel, and it's it's Robbie Reyes. <laughs> 
Hooking up, we have a Misty Night story by Jeremy Whitley from Princeless. There could be 10 different stories in here. I think it'll be fun and instructive in some ways for the way these books used to. The cover itself has got the old dot, the, the dot pattern mm-hmm. from a very old comic book. So if we do it, we could do when worlds collide, can their love survive? <laughs> secret wars, secret love. And Kamala is sob. Of course, it's written out sob. The world is ending and Robbie will never know how I feel. <laughs> have to have excla- all exclamation points. Uh, so I would say everybody should participate. They read it. Read. Read it. Uh, we'll sort out. Hashtag TCBOTW. At least maybe we'll do a Book of the Week segment. Maybe we'll try to get Jeremy on the line, interview him about the book. We'll do something for people next week. But use hashtag TCBOTW. Write it on Twitter and let us know what you thought of Secret Love, Secret Wars. And yeah, that's going to do it for the first half of the show. We're going to take a little break and we're going to come back and Stephanie will join us. And we're going to answer some questions and do a little reminiscing. So we'll beans. be right back. We are back. Stephanie's still not here. No. I don't know what's going on. Hopefully she answers my text message and then comes on soon. I I text her because she just got home when we were finishing up that first segment. Oh. Said, she said, do you want me to send me a message when you're ready? I said, yes. I sent her the message. She hasn't answered yet. Play by play. It's a it's a it's it's a it's a delay. We're on we're seven second tape delay. Yeah, we're seven minute tape delay. Uh, Before I forget, I do want to say it's a couple days ago now, but uh, (laughs) Mara Wood's birthday. She had her birthday a few few days ago. Uh, Happy birthday to Mega Mara Mon. Yes, happy birthday to crucial part of Talking Comics. And from the very beginning, from almost mm, the very beginning, almost the very. But now might as well be from the very beginning. Uh, Awesome contributor, awesome friend. Hope you had a very happy, happy birthday, um, and and bar none, the nerdiest person I could ever ever meet in my life in the all the best ways possible. Yeah, I'm sure she would agree. Yeah, uh, I haven't listened to the new episode. They just did the Star Trek movies yes, over there, that's so they're going to be listening to that one with rapt attention. Yes, I'm pretty and, sure that Melissa talks about um, the uh, innuendo of all the shots of the ship in the first movie. I was 23 when Star Trek the motion picture Mm -hmm. opened and I in on September 8th 1966 I was in front of the television because my dad let me stay up late to watch the first episode of Star Trek (laughs) big science fiction fan as we've talked about on the show loved all the sorts of stuff and wanted someone to watch it with I love those characters, love the show, and it went off the air, and all of it was cartoons and reruns. It was the animated series for a bit. <laughs> and that they were making a movie of this, and I went to the Patchogue Theater, which is now mm-hmm. a, a, a an opera house, wherever you want to call it, <laughs> what it is, performing arts center. <laughs> a glorious old theater with a balcony and a chandelier mm-hmm. in the lobby and the whole thing in you know Dolby stereo, <laughs> God forbid. And the... When the, the crew goes to the new refit Enterprise, 
look, the original version of the director's cut, which is longer, is actually better because it, it they take some of the reaction shots out. There's lots of dross in this movie. But that's that sequence of of Kirk looking at his Enterprise and just lovingly looking at the ship. Yeah. I know all about subliminals, and I can tell you about what you know what the ice cubes in that that glass of scotch actually mean. I, I get that, but as someone who was in love with the show, to to be able to be reintroduced to the Starship Enterprise on a on a big screen <laughs> in stereo in thirty five millimeter was thrilling. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I am not ashamed to say I was kind of teary looking at that <laughs> ship, and even all these years later, having seen all the better movies in between. Still a great shot. The movie is problematic. It's <laughs> a, it's some old episodes. It was meant to be the script that they use. I'm sure the Misfits talked about this. There was going to be a second Star Trek television show. It was phase two. And after Star... Paramount was going to start their own network long before anybody else mm-hmm. did this with Star Trek as an anchor. And phase two was going to be that and Star Wars hit why don't we do a movie? Mm-hmm. And so they tried to flesh out a couple of TV episodes, hired a great director, Robert Wise, who made mm-hmm. The Haunting and The Day the Earth Stood Still and The Sound of Music and West Side Story. And he was constrained to do certain things and he had a certain release date and they didn't have special effects finished. Story goes, he flew to the premiere of New York with the print in his lap and it was still wet. <laughs> and so it, it's, it's not... The director's cut's not even an edited cut, really. It's too long and lots of reaction shots of people looking at stuff. <laughs> it's V'ger. That scene particularly, it could go longer, and I'd be happy. <laughs> it's the Enterprise, man. I, I I should have had this as a question. Millennium Falcon or Enterprise? Uh, I mean, for me, it's probably Millennium Falcon. Okay. I was a Star Wars kid. I grew up on Star Wars. It was the thing that was like my, you know, my bedtime story, basically. Um, and so I always I have a giant kind of romantic notion mm-hmm. of, of the Millennium Falcon and, and what it is and, and all, all that it means. Uh, I, I mean I love I love the Enterprise as well and I have extremely fond memories of uh, watching the Next Generation with my mom because my mom loved watching Next Generation sure. and so I of watching that show with her and then watching repeats of that show you know uh, on, on cable and all that stuff and, and watching a ton of it myself so I have a lot of good memories of that but Million Falcon definitely okay for me now, the, the Enterprise uh, Roddenberry and his crew they went to the Jet Propulsion Labs what would a starship look like having to do this and this and this the version you see with the, the saucer and the nacelles in the back is actually the upside down version of something they were going to use mm. And someone just looked at the art, sort of, the, you know, if we did this instead, <laughs> this would be sort of cool. It's a great looking ship, and mm-hmm. the idea of the size of it's immense. Yeah. And faster than light speed. Mm-hmm. It just had a different look. The spaceships that I grew up with in movies in the 50s were either flying saucers mm-hmm. or old V2 rockets from World War II <laughs> with stuff painted on them. Right. So something so different. And in its time, the television show's effects were very good. They don't hold up at some levels now. Mm-hmm. But shots of the Enterprise circling a planet in 1966 done on a television budget were pretty special when you look at everything else that was around. Mm-hmm. And they've redone the first couple of seasons, I think, in yeah. HD. Yeah, and it wasn't necessary. Yeah. I mean, they clean up the mat lines, and yeah. that's great, but mm-hmm. they've changed a lot of things. Mm-hmm. 
and it was more a cleanup. It's the same way I know George lo- George Lucas loves monkeying yeah. with things. Those shots when you you weren't born yet, <laughs> or, or were you when Star Wars came out? You were, no, you, I was not. Okay. I was not born. When you see that Star Destroyer pass over mm. your head sitting in the theater the first time, no one had ever seen anything mm. like that before. Yeah. It's a physical model mm-hmm. that has weight and real dimension, and your eyes read it as a 14,000-foot-long mm-hmm. behemoth. Yeah. And the Enterprise always looked like that, and the, the fixed effects don't look the same. Mm-hmm. I'm just old. I understand <laughs> that. But it doesn't strike me in the same way mm-hmm. as this is a 20-foot... The Enterprise was, you know, 18 feet across mm. for some of those shots. They're, they're little models of it yeah. for other things. Uh, favorite spaceship. <laughs> favorite spaceship. <laughs> I get it. I get the whole Millennium Falcon. I mm-hmm. love that one, too. Because, honestly, the scenes in that new in the trailer for mm-hmm. the new one, that's what that's what tugs at my heartstrings. Yeah. It's that sort of, we're home. Yeah. The uh, I always think about, in The Empire Strikes Back, when the Falcon leaves Hoth, and it's in that space battle yes. with the whole like fleet, and it's trying to you know it kind of buzzes the star destroyer, um, and they lose it because they they can't find it because yeah. you know it's kind of attached to, yep. yeah to the bottom of it. Um, the way the ship moved, I remember watching that and being just absolutely blown away. And it's very interesting to go back and watch the documentary, which I can't remember the name of right now, but it's like the big famous one that's on yeah. on the DVDs. Uh, it, where they t- where they talk about the difference in technology from the first Star Wars to to, to Empire Strikes Back in the in the way they could con- motion control the cameras and the way they could actually have the ship moving in those kind of ways and not just kind of like statically going across right. a plane it can now go up and down the camera can move with it right. well more the, in the first time around it's models moving in front of the camera yeah. now it's the camera moving and the models yeah, moving yeah exactly you, yeah two planes yeah because they learned how to do motion control so they, yeah. they, they knew how to mat stuff out and everything using moving cameras which is it's, it's amazing to me uh and so that always captured my imagination qu- quite a bit have you been reading we're, we're still doing comics have you yeah. been reading any of the star wars comics you know no I, I i read a couple of i read a couple of like the first one or two issues and i i do think they're good um i'll probably end up reading them in in trade mm-hmm. form that's kind of my plan you know we talked about this before but it's tough for me when i equate something with one medium to take it to another medium you know especially when that other when it's still alive in that other medium you know what i mean it's like i i love star wars and i've i love the movies i've read some books and i've loved some of the books that i've read but when i'm reading it in comic form i'm kind of thinking like oh i really want to be watching Watching the movies right now and it's just one of those things like I I don't enjoy them but I I just I find myself that's not my preferred way to ingest Star Wars stuff but I I, I think much like I talk about with the really kind of like cute stuff um, and charming stuff I think that reading it in one mass will will keep my attention better than reading it month to month things that for me get translated from television to comics Mm -hmm. or movies to comics what gets me is if it's the Lost season. Mm. I'm loving Burns' photo novels. Right. I'm sure the people who read Buffy season yeah, 11 yeah, or whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're giving me more of what I didn't mm-hmm. get. It's when you're trying to fit them in between yeah. that I sort of get a little... I, I love the first Princess Leia issue. Yeah. I read, liked mm-hmm. it a lot and just never yeah. felt the need to keep going. That's the thing too me with the, the licensed stuff all, around, all across the board, no matter how good it is, it, I don't feel a lot of pull to mm-hmm. keep going back to it. 
um, because I feel like I'm, I already, I have other ways to get it. So that's not like my main conduit yeah. for it. Uh, but I, I've heard great things about the main star Wars series that Jason Aaron is doing. Mm-hmm. I've heard great things about the Darth Vader series that Kieran Gillen is doing. Um, that new Lando series is out right now, uh, by Charles soul. All those things interest me. And they're the one I'm actually most interested in is the one that's coming up. The shattered empire. Oh, what's that one? The Greg Rucka one. one well, Rucka. That's so bridging the go. gap between Jedi and Force Awakens. Oh. Because that's stuff I'm like, I don't know what oh, happens. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's the stuff what I'm excited about because um, the, my problem with the Darth Vader book and even the Star Wars book is that, yeah, the events, I don't know the events they're dealing with, but I kind of know like characters are fine this is what's going to happen here i know this yeah. eventually we're eventually we're all leading to this these moments the problem with the prequels <clears throat> yes <laughs> no! there's many other problems with the prequels other yeah. than knowing where it's going yes uh so so that's my issue with, with, with the comics i do hope to i think this should be out soon though because i think that we're past issue six now of of the main star wars series so we should be getting a trade yeah. um, i know there's some so. people in the stories in the other day who were just really hot on the lando that just came out yeah They're yeah really, Two, I think, just came Two, out. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I, I've heard really good things uh, about it. I, I'm really interested to read it, and I, I love that character, and uh, I love all those characters. I think they're doing a Chewbacca one as well, which I don't yes. know how that's like, I guess, like a Groot type of thing. Uh, but <laughs> Groot met Chewbacca. They're in the same universe now because Disney owns. Yeah, they could be. They could be together. They could be together. Uh, I mean, we didn't talk about this at any other point, but because we haven't seen the footage, but D23, they talked about. They talked about Doctor Strange. Um, and showed some concept art, and the director mm-hmm. spoke, and Cumberbatch spoke, and they spoke about how it's going to be the the origin story. How they're going to do the 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 movie centered around uh, the origin story. So that's going to be that. And uh, such I think, a great origin that we've yeah not really addressed for years and years and years yeah. in anything. Cumberbatch yeah. said that there's going to be magic, girls, and action. Anything you <laughs> could want in a Doctor Strange movie or something. So <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing what all that, that yeah. that's going to be. I think it starts shooting in November. I think that's when it starts shooting. So I'm sure we'll see some stuff from that soon. And they showed uh, footage from Captain America Civil War and uh, I think some, uh, some Ant-Man stuff. Um, where I think apparently he's like geeking out meeting Captain America. <laughs> uh, I, I think the line they I saw from him was, "I know you know a lot of guys who do superhero stuff, so thank you." <laughs> uh, I saw a clip of Sebastian Stan and Anthony Mackie running down the street, so yeah. we get to see what mm-hmm. what side Bucky's going to be on. Yes, and uh, we saw some kind of spy shots of Black Panther. As yeah, well. the costume looks great. Yeah, so we'll see how all all that that goes, and we know that. Um, Apparently, uh, stuff has been shot already with Tom Holland as Spider-Man, and they're shooting more now. So we'll see how all that stuff goes, but it should be interesting. Yeah. And then, so a brief interview with uh, Evangeline Lilly, mm-hmm. who's talking about I think it was posted versions of her Twitter mm-hmm. stuff. She's been fitted for the Wasp a costume, yeah, but then didn't say much. Mm-hmm. I keep bugging them, no pun intended. <laughs> oh, and officially in Arrow, it's now Star City. It's not Starlink City anymore. So what happened to the Ling? Uh, well, there was a whole thing in the past season where uh, the um, oh my god, his name just Ray Palmer character was was initiated to rename the city because it had been through so much stuff. They wanted to like rename it and rebrand it and have it be something. So now it's Star City. Oh yeah. So we should call New York New. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just drop all the rest of it. Oh, okay. I, yeah. Why not? Um, all right. So let's, let's get some listener questions. At T Spence ninety two says, "What are your opinions on graded books versus raw?" Worth the investment? Should comics be kept raw and able to read? Oh, boy. <laughs> How much time do you have? We have time. Okay. As someone who's shopped at a store for 30 years, who 
whose owner is an advisor to the Overstreet Price Guide. <laughs> I've never felt the need to send my books out to be graded by somebody else by their standards. I understand how that all works when you don't have the resource of someone local. The problem starts to be that once those books exploded in price over everything else, it, it's assigned a number to it. That's that's problematic. Mm-hmm. You're, you're having someone grade your book who's being taught by someone at a certain way who has no, which could be good, I guess, no attachment to the book. What it actually means, it's just a piece of paper with a tear or this or that. Mm-hmm. The book is then sealed in a plastic vault that can't be opened without you having it regraded. Now, this vault may or may not be moisture-proof. It is certainly not heat-proof. If I get a spawn number one and it's graded 10.0 and was going from selling for $3 to $1,500 overnight because they sent it off to Florida somewhere, I've got a 10.0 book that's worth so-and-so that no one can see what's inside it. What's inside the covers? Look, they're bonded, whatever, who knows. If I put that in my attic and it's 150 degrees and I open that 10 years now, what's it going to look like? The grade means nothing. It's a book. You're supposed to be able to look at it and read it and enjoy it, and you're sticking it in a hunk of plastic. Putting a coin in that same vault, no problem. Putting a baseball card, Mm -hmm. it's a book. Mm -hmm. It's a book. Read it. Enjoy it. It's affected the price. I think some of the CGC thing is, is now the industry standard where for years it was Overstreet. Mm. What's the Overstreet mint price? And then a mile high, which was thought of as the greatest books on earth, were twice that or three times. Mm. And now they they go to the same number grades as the other. I think if you go to if you find an expert, you find your local store, if you're buying it for yourself and not an investment that you're going to sell it to Christie's or Sotheby's, mm. Go with your local guy. If you have someone who's an expert, they're there. Either he has one or is one. Mm -hmm. If you're buying for investment grade, you now need that grade and you need that number to get back your investment. It's the only way to do things. So from a purely business standpoint, I think you have to do it. If you're buying as a collector, do it yourself. (laughs) It isn't really that hard to understand that, okay, the staples are out of it. This is not a fine book anymore. Right. I mean, I think uh, for look, I, I I've never really understood collecting in that way, like collecting in a precious way like that. Mm-hmm. Because to me, the collection, all things I collected, you know, whether it be movies or books, they're they're not they're not to be they're museum pieces. They're there. I collect them because I want to have access to them because I want to read right. them or or touch them or watch them. Uh, and, and so I've never really understood the, the, the need. Obviously, if you have something that's worth a lot of money, you want it to be worth a lot of money, protect it and make sure it's in good condition. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, f- there are certain books that deserve to be, um, in the words of Indiana Jones, in a museum. You know, yes. you want yeah. action comics, you want Detective Detective 27, you want, you know, Spider-Man number one, Amazing Fantasy number 15. You want You want these books to be put somewhere and they should be there should always be a copy of it in pristine condition that can be cataloged for the ages uh you know and obviously if you want to have if you if you want to have an investment you want to you want to make money off of them that's what you do that's that, that that's fine too but i think in general if you're talking about books that are you know in the hundreds of dollars you know or even a low thousand dollars yeah. i don't think it's 
I don't, I don't. I would rather. I would rather the book be readable and and, and yeah. out. You know, if it's not life changing money, Absolutely. you know, then I don't think it's worth it because you're 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 storing away what makes the book valuable truly in the first place, which is what's inside the book. You know, the climate when the cover came out. That that's nothing to do with the comics. That's something to do with just with the, a market value and you know a trend or inflated demand or you know a misprint or the publisher creating something you know whatever. It's not about the content of the book. You know, it, it's not a it's not that it's not yeah. because this is the first appearance of this amazing, long lasting character. So I I think that. I would rather them be raw. That's that, that's my opinion. Yep. But again, I've never had a book that's worth a lot of money, so I can't really say. <laughs> well, I, I think they were a baseball card company before mm-hmm. CGC and moved into this because the speculator market made it mm. viable. And if all it was at the start was, yeah, let me grade my Detective 27. Mm-hmm. The, great. People were buying brand new books off the newsstand trying to find a pristine 10 of some number one regular book mm. so that it would go from $2 to $200 and they could put it on eBay. Mm. Well, it's that mentality that ruined this industry. It, it, just for saying, if you had a book worth a lot of money, great. Mm. It's if you had an autograph copy of, uh, uh, the sun also rises. Mm. You'd, you'd certainly want to have it authenticated yeah. and have someone grade it yeah. and, and do that and protect it in some way. Right. Yes. If you have a copy of the, the Gettysburg Address, you'd yeah. like it in Mylar and mm. sealed away so nothing bad can happen. Yeah, Last month's Detective Comics, mm-hmm. no. Detective 27, yes. Yeah. Like, I mean, they're obviously, they're, you know, the the Deadpool kind of thing has become a big kind of business at yes. this point for yeah. life. And I listen to that we, 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 we talk about life health sometimes. I don't blame him for wanting to get money for signing those books because yes. he's not seeing any of that resale value of, yeah. of, of those books. So if he's if you he want to sign it, which is going to increase the value even more, he deserves a, a cut of whatever you're going to get off of that. I completely yeah. I completely think that that's true. And obviously, if you have a Deadpool number one signed by Rob Liefeld in superb condition, put it in its freaking CGC right. box and, and sell it before it's not worth what it's worth now. But now don't you have the autograph authenticated too there's a company that will do that first while you're having it signed though i probably told this story i went to a convention with my store owner and his brother who's one of the big gold angels in the country at nassau coliseum right in the image Mm -hmm. right when the whole image thing was going on and their authenticator where they gave you the little certificate that oh you had a book signed Mm -hmm. was at the front of the room and there were i don't know how many creators there hundreds Mm -hmm. and hundreds and John was very much anti that stuff then. He feels differently now because all he deals in is really valuable stuff, and that's what you have to do. So he had a copy of Daredevil number seven from the 60s where Daredevil fights Prince Neighbors, drawn by Wally Wood. So he wanted to test out the authentication of the authentication. Mm -hmm. So the lady asked him, uh, well, well, what book did you have signed? Because he asked for a certificate. Um, Daredevil number seven. I had Wally Wood sign it. Oh, and so she wrote out, Daredevil number seven and the year Wally Wood signed. Wally Wood had died 10 years before. <laughs> but he's got a certificate that says his Daredevil was signed. It, <laughs> it It's it's a system that is hackable, mm-hmm. to say the least, as a lot of things are. I have I have autographed books. You have autographed books. Mm. They're worth nothing Yeah. In, in a sense because we didn't have some 
Joker standing behind yeah. us saying, "Yes, you did." And and yeah. when I get in a book autographed as well, I think it all depends on what you're doing too. Because like if I get a book autographed, like I have a Batman number one mm-hmm. signed by Scott Snyder. Stephanie sent it very yeah. very nicely. Uh, it, it, I don't have it because I ever want to sell it. I have it because it means it's something a memento. to me. And and yes. that book is special to me because it's one of the first books I read when I when I started reading comics again. It's one of my favorite creators. It's one of my favorite runs. And it means something, you know. Um, might it be worth something someday. Probably not, because it's already probably not in a good enough condition to. Yeah, it's been it's, read, it's enjoyed, been read. It's been loved. sent in the yeah. mail. It's been it's been tossed around in, in piles of books. You know, I'm I'm not precious about that stuff, but I think that there's nothing intrinsically wrong. I think about doing the CGC stuff. I just think that, I, I think that you you you'd hear comic book creators say the same thing, which is that books are meant to be read. They're meant to be yes. folded up and put in your back pocket and taken yeah. places and and read and passed around to your friends. And I think that. Uh, you know that's that that's what's really really important. So that's, that's agreed. Really, thought on that stuff. Let's see what else do we got here. Um, Brad Pinder says, if you could own one piece of fictional comic book technology, what would it be? Wow. <laughs> the abundant glove. No. <laughs> um, mother box. Really? Go you, anywhere you, you want boom instantly. You go? Boom box. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> In a boom tube wherever you want yep. to go. All right. There is that connection to apocalypse, though. You go through the wrong part of the world to get mm. there. Yeah, that's true. Okay. I mean, it would be nice to go yep. to get anywhere. Um, I mean, for me, I mean, obviously, some of it's real technology, but it'd be the Batmobile. I've always wanted the Batmobile. Oh. I'm going to drive around the Batmobile. I think I told a story which, before. Which version? <sighs> the Tim Burton version. Okay. I love that. I love that. I love the design of that car. I remember. I think I've told this story story in the show before. But when Batman Returns, either Batman Returns or Batman Forever was coming out, there was a big Taco Bell promotion. And there's a thing if you you know if you pulled off the the sticker and it was I think Bruce Wayne's face or the bat symbol or whatever, you instantly won. And and the thing they promoted most was you could win the Batmobile. Wow, a functioning Batmobile. <laughs> and so my like whatever it was 10 year old brain <laughs> didn't really like put it together so i got that i pulled up and i i had the huh? batmobile and i was like oh my god i won the batmobile and it was like you've instantly won a free taco or oh and it was so disappointing yeah. to me but i've always wanted that batmobile um the intimate series one would be good uh, yeah. as well but I, when i think when i when i think of the batmobile i think of the the michael keaton tim burton batmobile that's what i think of i'm the adam west version mm-hmm. Yeah, but you could make that in West version. Just get a convertible. It's a, it's a Ford. Is it a, is it a Fairmont? I think it is. That actually yeah. exists. Ford Futura. You can actually buy one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you could have bought one in the 50s. It was yeah. a Ford concept car. Yeah. <laughs> Cosmo Cube would be nice. Cosmo Cube would be nice. <laughs> Though I worry about stuff with that much power. I worry that I'm going yeah. to fuck up all of reality. Well, it's just shit. Well, seconds, right? It's that yeah, whole. Yeah, yeah right, exactly. Right, yeah. That's too much choice. Yeah, you're right. It's too much choice to have the, the Cosmic Cube. Powering? Um, powering would be awesome. That's just enough power because it's limited by something. Yes. You have to recharge it. You have to have the will to do it. But stay away it. from yellow. Yeah, so they go, all yeah. yellow is bad. Only brown mustard. Yes, but you can do awesome stuff. Well, you should only eat brown mustard anyway. Yes. No one should be eating yellow <laughs> mustard. That's, that's a no-no. No yellow okay. mustard. I know people will disagree with me, but... They're wrong. They're wrong. <laughs> no yellow mustard. Only... Brown mustard. Um, let's see. Uh, Carol Cross, who's at Kinky Comic Girl, says, "Will there ever be a run uninterrupted by a new number one as long as the first inception of Action Comics?" 
In this day and age, no, Carol. I think you're absolutely, <laughs> I think, yeah. <laughs> Some books will get the numbers put back on mm-hmm. them for an event. They'll say it's the anniversary of so-and-so. I mean, they're doing that for uh, Uncanny. Right. They're doing 600 or whatever. They, yeah. Um, we we did back with FF. They just got yeah. to 645. Mm-hmm. Spider-Man did that sort of thing. Uh, I think we did do an action number, a detective number when mm-hmm. we got to that point, but. It's sad. We we predicted a year and a half ago that we would be doing all these volumes and num- mm-hmm. renumberings, and that's too bad. There was a certain joy to picking up an issue within <laughs> nearly four digits on yeah. the cover. Uh, people don't, I argue, don't argue, discuss with my local comic guy who's an old-timer like me, and that is one of the things he thinks has spoiled the way people collect, where people felt a need to keep complete runs together which is it's now gone you don't need to because that mm. number isn't hanging over your head right how could i miss issue 622 <laughs> i have the other 621 mm. and it, you were forced into it now because of trades and digital and everything else you don't have to boy it was great seeing big numbers on covers i mean it, I, I i like the idea of the of the smaller numbers and, and the volumes i think that's a good idea it does make i think when people go back and they go okay um I want to read all of Chip Zdarsky's, you know, Howard the Duck run. <laughs> I think those kind of first, like, they're going to need a reading guide. You know, yes. whereas before you need that stuff on, like, Grant Morrison's Batman run because it went from Batman to, you know, Batman and Robin to Batman Incorporated. And you, you, had to, you had to kind of find your path who through the character as he changed the, the regular title that he was writing. But books like that, I think it's going to be tough. And it's like, okay, there's one through six and there's one again. Like, so this two is actually after this six, you know, I think it becomes tough when it, those are, numbers are low like that. Um, obviously, like you said, the, the, the trades and stuff like that make it easier. And, and I'm sure when they do it, it'll be, it will, when they volumize it, it'll be right. volume one and volume right. two. The trades will be numbered. Yes. But that volume one, volume two, I mean, you do this when you mm. research an article. Yeah. And I'm looking for images. And so both DC and Marvel have their own little Wikipedia pages. Mm. And, mm. and some of it's all related to the, the main wiki page. Yeah. But still... Okay, I want to look up a Fantastic Four number 12. Mm-hmm. But not the Lee and Kirby one. I want one of the ones from before, and now he, I don't know what volume it is. Yeah. Is it three, four, five, six? I have no yeah. clue. There are so many Captain Marvels. Yeah. I have no idea, and not to mention the, the Fawcett one comes up, and yeah. a couple of DCs while uh-huh. I surrender. Yeah, it's tough. I, I'm hours looking for something I should be able to know the way I did that in Journey into Mystery 112, the Thor and Thor and the Hulk mm-hmm. fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that stuff is rough. When you're They're all gone now. Research-minded ways, I think. I think it's, it's a tough thing. I think one of the last ones was Journey into Mystery was one of the last really high yes. number ones that ended. Ended with the after the Emmerman stuff. At, uh, They're in the six uh, eighties or something because like, yeah. that book goes back into the fifties as the horror sci-fi comic. It was. Yeah. Um. So that was one of the last ones, but I, I agree with you in that way. I think that it's uh, it's nice, right? DC is it's a little bit easier right now because there's basically like a dividing line. It's like everything numbered normally for the most part up until the new 52. And now there's just like, this is kind of volume. Like there isn't action detective comics. There's the run up until yes. whatever. And then there's the new stuff, you know? So you obviously know that the one that came out in 2012 that's number three isn't the one that came out in, in the thirties. But, but to a point because crisis changed some of the it's numbering. True. It's true. Superman and action sort of switched numbers and mm-hmm. action went weekly and yeah. th- 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 became Adventures of Superman named it the television show. Right. And Wonder Woman renumbered as... Uh, yeah. 
and they rebooted two or three. I, uh, so what we're saying is always a problem. It's been a problem for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Some when the Flash came back, mm-hmm. they took up the numbering from the Golden Age books. I didn't know that. Yeah, <laughs> that's why it's in the hundreds mm-hmm. right away because the book ended at one o three. It was one o three and right fifty four, yeah. whatever it was. Okay, yeah. I can sort that out. I I'm lost now. I really am, and I was pushing for the volumes only for for the regular public. Mm-hmm. But for me, it makes me sad. <laughs> you know, I think it's funny because you think about it when the numbering system first started. It's really just like a magazine numbering system, right? It's like you know, Mad Magazine. They're up to like thousands yes. or whatever in the numbers, and it, back then it was just about like okay, so it's kind of a publication demarcation, right? It's not about number one, number two. Like we have a story arc from number yeah. issues one to issue six. Time that, Magazine number whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and now the issue numbers mean something different than they did when they, like that's where you go when the Flash. It's a publication history thing. So it's like, okay, so, you know, in our records, like the last Flash, you know, magazine that we put out is was 103. So the new one has to be 104. Like we don't, you don't go back to number yeah. one. You know, that, that's, well, some why of would it, you? Some of it was cheapness on smaller publishers. Mm. You had to pay for a new mailing certificate through the post ah. office. So if you kept the same number, you'd have to buy another $25. Gotcha. So I, I know uh, Melissa had gotten me to buy this and I bought the trade paperback of Moon Girl. Mm-hmm. But in the books, it was a moon, a girl, romance, moon, girl, fights, crime. <laughs> EC kept change, slightly changing the title so it didn't have to change the <laughs> publication mm. history. Interesting. Interesting. We should try that now. How uh, can we do that? <laughs> find a new book. Uh, the Avengers. We, how many Avengers? We keep just making them all the same. <laughs> thank you, Carol. That was a lovely question. Yes. I'm a little sad, but thank you very much. Well, sir, in the same vein, no beard underscore pirate. Says, <laughs> do you get frustrated with constant reboots to number one issues? This last event reboot was the breaking point for me. So I think he's talking about more in the general, the bigger sense, like the the, the Secret Wars, New Fifty Two yeah. stuff that brings like whole universes to to number ones and, and stuff like that. Yes. <laughs> Simply put, yes. I I don't know if it's still event fatigue. I think mm-hmm. I'm into event death. <laughs> but I know everyone wants to change things up, and that's all great. You have to change everything up at once, <laughs> all the time, and books we love interrupted, changed, and they'll be back. Will they be back in the same form they are? Will it be the same Earth? I'm a bit tired. I'm That's why the whole DC, it's now about stories and not continuity, but mm. there's still some interlink. Mm-hmm. I'm liking better than our whole pizza with toppings. <laughs> so, But we'll see. It, it could turn out to be better streamlined mm-hmm. I'm aggravated. Well, it's funny because all of these things, I mean, it doesn't, it's just the nature of the beast, right? DC right now is story over continuity, but eventually the continuity that's there will start to expend and expend yes. and, and build on top of each other. And when you're at the point where you, let's, let's say that the Fletcher, Stewart, Tar, Batgirl run goes for three, three years, let's say. The people you're not going to be able to read year th- the 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 middle <laughs> issue of the third year of their Batgirl right. run and understand what's going on. After, Who's this person that yeah. I never saw before? After yeah. a certain point, continuity just it just it's always going to build on itself because you're you're never going to go you're not going to go backwards in, in 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 your run. It's just not going to happen. Things are going to build on, and you're going to want to call back. That's what writers do. That's that's what they want to do. They want to they want to tell stories and they want those stories to mean something. So they want the end. To match the beginning, and there's going to be a there's going to be a flowing there. I mean, we you look at this. We, we talked about this a couple times, but 
the idea of the um, the Ultimate Universe began as this idea where people who didn't read comics or were in Brolin continuity could yeah. read this and they could get different takes on characters that 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 are already existed. We got to the point this year where they end the Ultimate Universe, you know, with hundreds of issues for all these, yeah. and so that's gone. Then it's just you can you can always start that way, but it's always going to change. And I think the only way possibly to 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 fix that is what we were kind of something like complaining about before, which is to every year not reboot it, but to say the last we had twelve issues of story, they all interconnected. Now we start a new story. Could be the same writers, and yeah, of course the characters are going to be there. So if you don't know anything about Batman. You know, it's, it's going to be tough. But he, well, let's introduce him. We'll reintroduce yeah. him within the first few pages for those who came in late. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, this, ne- this next year, this is another year of story, and all this will interconnect. So you you have to manage these 12 issues, and, and that's it. You know, and, and, But that's a double-edged sword, right? Because one of the best things about comics is that complicated branching, all these books connect continuity stuff that we love so much we love it we hate it it's 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 a it's always a double-edged sword so you, you give one up one with the other right i mean i think it's jeff loeb who talks about that that's the model that things should go and if you look away jeff loeb writes stories that's generally what he does he takes a group of issues and they contain the, the bigger universe but they're generally pretty continuity f- free in, in, in most senses well we had a different kind of comic books 50 years ago. It was mm. all very one and done occasionally, too. We mm. A continued story. <laughs> My goodness. Stan Lee changed that. Mm. Yeah, he and Kirby and, 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 and Ditko decided that we could have stories that were more adult. And that's that double-edged sword you talk about. They then wrote for older people who wanted more depth and more characterization and more continuance. It, got out of hand maybe not through in their works because it was sort of a bubbling under storyline plot lines would ebb and flow and recede and move on and he always made sure you could read the book very simple trick he always did with fantastic four within the first few pages i only noticed this as a grown-up i didn't notice this as a kid johnny would refer to his sister as sue and sis that's his sister, and she's named Sue. And there <laughs> was in a couple of word balloons. Reed and Ben would be old friend or mm. some jazz like that. And I knew who these people are. Now, I'll pick up a book and by very great writers sometimes, and who's that character? And I have to go back two issues mm-hmm. to find who they were and what their relationship was because it's not spelled out unless I've read five other issues mm-hmm. before that. And that's about deconstructed storytelling, mm. which I'm always on about. It's something different today, and it's meant to be read in lumps. But we can't have both. We can't have complicated, engaging stories for grown-ups without having some of that I have to read back. So, mm-hmm. look, you picked up novels and then put them down, and a week later it's, uh-oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let me start again, Absolutely. or let me go back a yeah. chapter and figure yeah. it out. And these are now extended novels. Mm-hmm. These are not standalone things anymore yeah i mean we again we have some outliers there are some books yes. that are different than that there's some books that, that i think that do that but even like even all ages books that we love even like something like gotham academy yeah. like gotham academy at this point like each issue has sort of a standalone feel to it but at this point like you can't pick up issue eight and get it you right. know you, what's happened with olive's mother before that yeah now, now this oh this is going on yeah, yeah. the relationships the the, the the history of the school has all been explored in very interesting ways and so you know I'll, I'll, i think it's nature of the media because it comes out every month it needs to reward its readers 
for reading it every month because those are the people who keep the lights on yes. and keep the business going. So you can't, you want to bring in new readers, but you also want to reward the people who have stuck with you for eight months and, and have read all your issues and have put it, put it, invested the time and, and money into, into what you've done. So it's a very tough thing to, to juggle. Um, and, and, you know, I think that it can be done both ways, but it, it's tough in a world where everything has to be connected for there to be a lot of difference in, in, in yeah. those things. I think it would be better if, perfect world, less books were connected to other books. Mm-hmm. Reading right. 12 issues of Batman to get a complete storyline, not a real problem. Mm-hmm. I'm reading this. Yeah. I'll figure it out. That I have to read Batgirl, Robin, Nightwing, mm-hmm. Batman Eternal yeah. to flesh out the storyline that I should have been reading. Mm-hmm. Particularly when sometimes some of these side books are better than... The real books, some of the Infinity books mm-hmm. that Hickman was doing, were you, the story was better served by reading Avengers Assemble yeah. than reading Infinity. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I, uh, how do I, I should have been reading that, but wasn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. G- give me multiversity. See, there was a, there was a miniseries. <laughs> it's true. That was its own thing. Very true. Very, very true. <laughs> Mind-numbing. Crazy. <laughs> um. So Matthew Lung says, if you could write any character for any company, who would it be and why? Do I have to answer this or we're going to know what this is? Yeah, I know. I'd love to be able to write Fantastic Four. I've got <laughs> stories in my head somewhere. I think I threw one out here on, on the show one <laughs> long ago. I, I think Steve would answer the same probably. If you had to pick one character for Fantastic Four, though, who would you want to write? You had to do a solo a Solo, solo series. Yeah. Well, there already have been a couple of Ben Grimm series, mm-hmm. and he's my favorite comic book mm-hmm. character for a lot of reasons. I'd probably, at this point, because that's all been... Uh, Dan Slott did one, and mm-hmm. Byrne did it, and uh, Sue. I'd love to write a Sue Storm series. That'd be that'd be great. Do you have any, uh, any, uh, any ideas? It's got to be about family, mm-hmm. but it's probably... It would have to involve loss, but not permanent loss. Okay. She's missing, they're missing. How do we turn that back around, show her strength of will to get past the obstacles put to get back to her family? That's great. I love that. Great. Um, you know, for me, you? Yeah. there's the characters I love. Obviously, The Flash is a character I'd love to write. I love the idea of um, the, the character themselves. It, and I would write a Flash family story, but if I had to pick one of them, I would, I would probably pick Wally a, 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 as the character. And I, but I love the idea of not just the speed and the good-heartedness of the character, but the sci-fi elements of the character and the fact that the, the time travel bending speed force yes. elements and, and playing with that stuff, playing with, um, I think, way back when they were talking about doing the movie, way, way back, um, the idea that you know he can leave one area and be back to it before he actually ever yes. leaves that area. Like, what does that mean? Like, what, what, what would happen to the world? And I think dealing with that would be really, really interesting and fun. I mean, they're doing a lot of that right now, live action wise, in the TV show. So a lot of that's being taken away from my from my yeah. from my from, from my abilities. But I think that that would be the character I think I would go for once. I would also love to be a, a, a Green Lantern story, doing like a a, a Kyle Rayner story, just kind of Ooh. space buckaroo, you know, having a great time. Uh, space story I think would, would be fun and, and, and great to do both those ideas yeah did you see the uh, I was just going to say the, the same thing to you yes of the flash of two worlds yes yeah yeah that's that, that's uh, exciting I'm in yeah exciting to see that I'm, I'm really looking forward to that um, so thank you for, thank you for that question so uh, since we're getting we're at 199 we're almost at 200 
we've got this question a, a lot uh, in the past, but I figure we'll answer it again here quickly in a truncated version. But Nick okay. Bailey wants to know, when did you all get into comics? Seems like some within the last several years. Bob seems new to the medium. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, I even know the answer to this question. <laughs> I was a... I'm still a sickly adult. I was a very sickly little boy. Mm. And I was reading very, very early. My mom had a habit of reading. She put her finger under the words as she read. And she sat me on her lap, I've been told. And I was reading at about three. I actually got Mm. called down to the principal's office in kindergarten because I could read the Latin words on the side of a plaster Paris bag. Mm. Do you know your son can read? Yeah. (laughs) So I was getting 12 allergy shots a week. And... Manning up considerably and not complaining, so I got bought comic books by my father on the way home from the doctor every Saturday morning. And I still, to this day, remember sitting, it's my first memory of reading a comic book. I was sitting in the backseat of our 54 Ford on a hill in Huntington near the Big 8 shopping center on (laughs) New York Avenue and having in my hand showcase number 37 which is the first metal man with a giant flying manta ray with radioactive eye beams fighting a whole team of robots you're five that speaks to you <laughs> so that got me started I, it was either in that first that that day or soon after it was fantastic four five with dr doom being introduced and that just it, i i'm sure i had comics before that some archies or, or disney books or classic comics and that got me started i just then just kept and there were 10 cents and 12 cents. I kept, my father kept buying me books, and now there's a whole house full of them. But that, <laughs> that's where I began. How about you? What was your beginnings? Um, you know, I would say that beginning beginnings was definitely, um, as, as a kid, obviously, it was passing around books. I don't remember the first comic that was kind of mine. I remember collecting the Marvel comic cards. Sure. Uh, bef- before ever really thinking about reading a comic. I, 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 I'm sure, like you said, I'm sure I had them. I remember... Uh, they did again. I'm now looking back. It's probably one of those times where you're like, "Oh, I hate this about this stuff." But there was like, <laughs> it was one of the Spider-Man anniversaries. I don't remember what it was, and they did this this like, they did all these kind of like hologram yes. covers, die cut, glow in the dark. Yes, yep. they did those, and I remember um, as a young kid being like obsessed with with finding them. I, remember, I, <laughs> I can remember going to the comic book store in, in in either my hometown or near my hometown. You know, those things kind of bleed together when you're when you're a kid. Yep. Um, and 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 walking in there and my mom giving me money and me walking by myself and, and asking yeah. for it um <clears throat> but i remember that very specifically and i remember talking about different heroes and stuff on the playgrounds and like reading each other's comics mm-hmm. but none of them none of the stories really really stuck with me the the, the comic card things I, I i will always remember um my dad would always complain about how expensive they were <laughs> that's ridiculous that it was like two dollars a pack for these <laughs> cards um but Never fear, at least once a week, he would come home with nice. three or four packs for me to open. It'd always be so exciting. I'd have him in the binder all laid out and in order of the numbers so I would know which ones I was missing. And uh, I remember that very, very fondly. Of course, and there was the cartoon stuff. I always watched the cartoons. I always watched the Spider-Man cartoons and the X-Men cartoons and Batman and, and all that stuff. All of those shows growing up, I, I, I would watch. Um, and, he, and then as I got older, it was... I fell in the same traps that most people fall into who don't actually read comics, but kind of like the idea of the characters. 
which is less of the now us reading them now, which we complain about, which is yeah. like, you like like the badass stuff. You like the stuff that's like different and the stuff that seems like it's going, you know, so it feels like you can be part of it. And I think that's a big part of that stuff is that you feel like you can be a part of what's going on. <clears throat> so I would check in every once in a while with stuff like that. And I would read stuff like I read Watchmen. I would read stuff like that when that stuff kind of came to my attention. Um, I remember like uh, a book I know, Bob, you hate. Uh, <laughs> Identity Crisis is coming out. Yeah, and I didn't yeah. read comics at all. And that was one of those things where I was like, I feel like I can like, interface with this yeah. because it's something different and, and it seems like I don't need to know all the other stuff to, to enjoy this stuff. Um, so there's stuff like that. And then, you know, the last couple of the couple of years before we started doing this show, I would, I would check in a little more regularly. And once I kind of had an iPad, that was a little bit of an in for me too. So I remember when I, I, I think really the germ of it, the thing, the thing that was the germ, the announcement of the new 52 was a big thing for me. Cause I was like, huh, maybe I can finally start reading this stuff. But before that even came out, I read um, they were doing the death of Spider-Man stuff in uh, the Ultimate Universe, which is where Peter died, and they introduced Miles. Yep. Um, and I remember I was I read the uh, the death of Spider-Man stuff, um, you know, on my iPad, not knowing anything around it, and and really and, and really loved it. And then it was funny after I saw the movie so bad, but after I saw the Green Lantern movie, I was like, I want to know more about this character. So I remember I went back and I read. Um, like Green Lantern Rebirth and, and and stuff like that, and that was right kind of that was like the summer before the New Fifty Two stuff happened. Yeah, and, and then when the New Fifty Two stuff hit, that's when I actually started reading, um, you know, hardcore into it. And the first time I ever really purchased monthly books and had a pull list and stuff like that. So that's kind of how that all yeah happened. And you all know the rest of the history because yeah. you've listened to it. Happen. Sure. I, for me, in in some ways, I grew up with the Marvel Age of Comics. Mm. I mean, I was five. They were a year old right in essence and so as their books changed mm -hmm. i was changing with them we right. were talking before about you know why certain gerber's books would be well mm -hmm. i was those guys were 22 when i was 17 right it's like wow this is all pretty interesting and so then when things went goofy i do take it personally so for those people <laughs> who wonder why, why does he get so vexed about such things like no that's not right it's off model that's what happens. You know, when you grow up with something, when you love something, that's what you're very precious with it. Yeah. You know, it's, that's always what happens. And I, I uh, we were talking about the Star Wars stuff earlier. And one of the things about, I was reading one of the books, uh, the I mean, it was number one or number two of the new Star Wars series. And like, Luke runs into Darth Vader before Empire Strikes <laughs> Back. And I was like, nope. Yep. <laughs> Check, please. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is a, it's like, it's a very like gut reaction. Cause I'm like, that's not, you know that's not how it's supposed to be. That that, that first meeting is so iconic. You know, just and it's one thing. It's it's it, someone's like I think it can stop you from enjoying things that are actually good because your your mind is so set on on other stuff. But it's just it's just what happens. Gotham, the TV show that went that way with me. Mm. I liked the first episode, didn't like the second, and then it turned into Jim Gordon can meet all these characters before Batman. Right? No, sorry, <laughs> done, done. Um, so. This is from Tony Vaughn on 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 Facebook. And he asks, "In the entirety of the show, has there ever been a singular issue or topic the four of you had a heated disagreement and or argument about?" And I, I would say that I don't think there's been a bit of a topic. I think all four of us argued with each other. Like we all somehow had four diametrically different yes. points from each other. Uh, I I mean I don't know how long Tony's been a listener, but there's plenty of episodes where you can hear us arguing about stuff. Um, the Image Expo. The that Image was a big one. Keynote episode. I'll say is a big uh, one. Gail Simone being fired. Gail Simone being fired was a big one as yep. well. Um, there, there's been a. I think that the uh, the Iron Man three review will give you some. <laughs> will yes. give you a little of that a, 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 as well. 
Um, there's only been episodes uh, a long way over there. has been pretty heated disagreements um, about things. But uh, they're th- all done by the end of the episode. They are. They are. Um, and we, we, I want to say we're not going to this question tonight because I want to save this for the 200th episode. But Logan Rowland asked, "What do you consider TC's biggest accomplishment and biggest bust?" I think we should talk about that on the 200th episode. Biggest bust, huh? Yeah. Hmm. What, did we, what did we bust at? Bust it. Uh, without saying, we had a couple of interviews that didn't go exactly the way <laughs> I thought they would. Right. Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I have some ideas. Thank you, Logan. And Sammy just rang in with this question, and we're not going to be answered tonight because I just I need time to think about this. But I think it's great, and I think maybe we'll either do it for Patreon or maybe do it for 200. I think for 200 it would be awesome. Um, he says, let's have some fun. Let's cast a talking comics movie. So we have to pick actors to play the talking comics people. Cast us. So we'll, we'll do that for hmm. the show. And if people have uh, their own their own versions. Oh, I'm scared now. Please write in. Uh, <laughs> I'm scared now. <laughs> Hashtag talking comics movie. And cast us. And if you're really industrious, put pho- the pictures up. Photoshop a movie poster of us. Yeah, and I will. You'll get a prize. I promise you. Something. If you're if you're not in the United States, something digital. If you're in the United yes. States, something physical. So. <laughs> I like that. That is. Yeah. I promise. That's my. That's that's my. That's my. That's my gamut to the talking comics listeners. If someone cast me as Rondo Hatton, I'd be very upset. Bob, you're the only person who said this, and I only know who that is because I know you. Yeah. And I've done 150, 250 podcasts yeah. with you. And you've mentioned Rondo Hatton more than I think Rondo Hatton's mother probably mentioned him. Uh, guys, go go Google Rondo Hatton. You'll see. <laughs> um, You'll see why I'd be upset. But that's going to do it for the 199th episode <gasps> of, of the Talking Comics podcast. Um, at Talking Comics on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Talking Comics podcast at TalkingComicBooks.com is the email address. Go to TalkingComicBooks.com for our reviews, columns, and of course our bevy of podcasts. The Misfits. Uh, which did their, did their Star Trek movie episode, which we mentioned a little bit earlier. Uh, Talking Movies just did their straight out of Compton episode. Um, uh, I'm not sure what's going to happen on Talking Games this week. Last week we talked about a game called Ark Survival Evolved, which is a dinosaur survival game, which is, which is a lot of fun. You can check that out. Talking Valiant, of course, with Adam Shaw. Talking about all things Valiant. Um, and check out our special edition feed where our comics and coffee goes up every uh, single week that we actually do it. Um <laughs> If you want to reach me personally, I'm at Bobby Shortle. Uh, Bob. Bob Ryer at TalkingComicBooks.com. And uh, like I said, we're going to be doing a Talking Comics Radio Theater, Fantastic Four number one. Uh, I'm pretty sure that will end up coming out um, uh, not this coming, not next Wednesday, but the Wednesday after because it's just a um, it's kind of an editing intensive process. Mm-hmm. And if we record on Tuesday, it's going to be tough to have up by Wednesday. Um, but we'll figure out something to do in, in, the, in the interim there and meet. So we'll do that for you guys. Um, and then of course 200 is coming up very very soon so you know I would say too if you have thoughts if you have reflections you want us to read out on 200 email us podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com and give us a, a little reflection on uh, on your time with talking comics and what what you what you have taken from it what your favorite moments are and we'll be sure to read those out uh, on the air only the good ones only the good ones <laughs> only the good ones um, so yeah that's going to do it uh, for the talking comics podcast for this week for Bob good night all I've been Bobby. Until next time on Talking Comics, to be continued. <laughs>